Folks, see that flashing sign up there? Now that sign says, applesauce. No, no, I, I'm kidding. It says, applause. All right. Now, remember, we're on in 10 seconds, so get ready to have a good time. All right, here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Directors Club Podcast. My name is Jim Laskowski. My name is Patrick Rapol. That is correct. We're here once I, again. I got that right this <laughs> yeah. time. For episode 10, I'm so excited. We've made that it. Was, that was 10 take episodes. five. I kept getting my name wrong. I kept <laughs> calling myself Ryan Turley for some reason. <laughs> I kept calling myself Barrett Oliver, mm-hmm. and we're really excited. This is our 10th episode. We've made it thus far. Happy mm-hmm. 10th ap- anniversary, Patrick. The anniversary of 10th, <laughs> I believe, is a wood, so uh, I, I built you the ship in a bottle, Jim. Oh, cool. Yeah. Is there a message in the bottle along with the ship? Is there like a note? Really? Yeah, you know why I, I, I work just, on this fucking just, ship in a bot? Have you ever fucking made a ship I, in the bottle? You know, no, what? I, was just, I was just hoping for a message of some kind. I have I love shaky, the police I have so much. Shaky hands to begin with. Mm-hmm. I dedicated at least three hundred hours building the ship in a bottle for you for our tenth episode, our important tenth wow. episode. And you, it's not good enough. You need a message in there. Here's the message: Fuck you. You don't get the bottle in anymore. Okay, that's fine. Or the ship. That's okay. You, you did, give it to someone who cares. You brought me cream soda, and that's just as good. That's true. I did. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question for you before we start. Oh, shit. What, could it um, be? You know what? I didn't even get our emails up. That would have been smart to do ahead of the t- recording. No, that's fine, because you, you do this while I talk. All right. Um, now, uh, this is a question for you, but I think it's also a question for our listeners. Um, for America. Who, uh, who may not know what I look like, because uh, I have a question. Um, they do. They should. Well, I mean, it, it's on the, there's a picture of you. Kind there's of. a single picture, and it's, it's like half of my face. But my point is, um, do I have a fat voice? Do you think? I never thought that before. No. Well, close your, hold on. Close your eyes. You would think that they would attribute that more to me. Right, close, but... close your eyes. Uh, okay. Um, hi, my name is Patrick. Did you see a fat guy just then? No. No? No. no. Well, you probably saw me. You know what I look like. Well, I, well guess, yeah. I guess the question is more for the listeners because I have a problem. I'm not, I'm not a fat guy. I am a fat guy in training. Hmm. Um, I believe a few, good, for, few more years, slow down my metabolism a little bit. Um, I'll be an excellent addition to the team of fat guys across this great nation. But um, right now I'm just a fat guy in training, so I go. I eat fast food a lot You know, when I'm in, working my job. And every time I, I would say literally 90% of the time um, when I tell them what I want to drink, which is a Coke, they, they go, Diet Coke? And at first I thought <laughs> they just misheard me. Okay. But now I'm beginning to think that it's a genuine suggestion. That would be weird. So the Because even when I was at my fattest, that was never an issue. They yeah. never said Diet Coke instead I, because you're so I must fat. Have a, I must have a fat voice is my thing. When you, you mean you're going through the drive-thru and they uh, they don't know what you look like and they're just trying to help. I heard the, I heard the drive-thru speaker adds 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Maybe that's something they have to do now, though, like as part of like like Wendy's plan Especially to... Especially if you're uh, going to McDonald's a lot. I'm not going to McDonald's, but like Wendy's plan to uh, like fight obesity in America is like huh. to always... They, they assume if you're driving through there, if you're not a fat guy, you will be eventually because what the fuck are you doing? So maybe that's their plan. I don't know, but... So I do. Wow. I am curious though, because I know we have our pictures up, but I'm not necessarily sure that everyone who listens to us 
has you know because we have about 12 followers on tumblr Mm. um on our website but we have about 75 listeners per episode maybe more have you ever been to that uh fast food restaurant wendy and lucy's no it's it's it's, amazing it takes forever to get your food and you go there and you lose your dog (laughs) that's what happens (laughs) you asked that's true they just handed me the bun i was like what happened they go I'm sorry, sir. This is Wendy and Lucy's. Yeah, and I'm like, all right. So you lost your dog. So you lost the dog. But did did you have to take a whole hour and forty minutes? I do want to see that movie. It's I bet awesome. I would like it. I love it. Um. um anyway, we well, do have an email to well, get to. But we we should have. I was just going to say we should definitely consider doing that uh, director for Wendy and Lucy because mm-hmm. she has a new movie out, Meek's Cutoff, which is which I've heard Oregon nothing tra- but amazing things yeah, about. It's an Oregon Trail movie. Yeah, so. with uh, Paul Mich- Dano in it, right? And Michelle Williams, who I love. So yeah. I'm excited for that. I think they just opened in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm maybe it may have already closed. Music Box uh, only runs things for a week. Yeah, that's cruel. You snooze, you lose. Uh, so anyway, we have an email. We do. This one comes from Jeff Van Driesen. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys. He said it in that inflection, by the way. Love the podcast. The new episode was solid, even though I'm not that huge into David Gordon Green. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised I didn't hear Patrick's head explode. When Colin mentioned Charlie Chaplin as one of his favorite directors, given that he's a Keaton fanatic to the point of hating on Keaton. Don't be hating on Keaton now. I'm also glad you have a shout out to the Hughes brothers. Totally better than that hack Singleton. So a few suggestions for you. Not that I think you should do any kind of PC quota or anything, but hey, why not some ladies? Especially ladies that aren't Catherine Bigelow or Nora Ephron. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Mary Heron, Jane Campion, Catherine Blatt. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's French. Mm-hmm. Blatt. Uh, Sophia Coppola, Elaine May, Lone Scherfig, etc., etc. Or even newbies like Andrea Arnold and Marine Aid. Not calling you out or anything, but most of your directors have been white dudes. Mm-hmm. Also, love to hear you do a podcast on John Cassavetti sometime. Keep the love coming. Great work. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. That and, was uh, great. That's a great email, Jeff. Pre- I would appreciate s- the suggestions. And, no, it's, and it's a completely uh, valid observation, though I would say it's a little um, in the wrong direction. I don't think the, our problem is really that um, – I, because I, uh, I don't think our problem is necessarily that we only choose white men. I think our problem is we're mostly doing American directors – and about 90% of all American directors are white men. And our, But our biggest problem is that we love big white cocks, and we can't help ourselves. Um, no, you know, yeah. you're, you're totally right. It? You're totally right. Yeah, and like the reason there's so many white people isn't – it's mostly because we haven't gone to many other countries. Right. Um, and that's, that's totally uh, – I mean we were raised on you know, American <clears throat> movies, and we have American sensibilities, so – but at the same time, we haven't, you know, we haven't done, you know, many Asian. We haven't done any Asian directors. We haven't done any, you know, uh, directors from south of the border. We haven't. I mean, keep in mind, we're only ten episodes in. That's true. <laughs> we're going to get to a lot of directors over the time. I don't know. I I don't like. Though to I just will. Set I will say plan, that. I will say yeah. that the next several directors we have lined up are all white dudes. They are. Yeah. Um. Next. Next episode's Woody Allen, and then I think after that's. Uh, Walter Hill, mm-hmm. and then Peter Weir. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, I like I like I like I like that schedule. Yeah, so that's a that's white. And then we're getting to into the summer, so it'll be very interesting once we get some uh, more guests. It's a, a white forecast forecast for you, but we will. 
my goal is to at least get to 100 episodes and see where we're at. So between yeah. you know, episodes, if we, we get got 90 episodes, we'll get to some of these names if we If we get to 100 episodes, then maybe we'll consider doing some of your minority directors. But really, we just feel, honestly, that white is right. Um, white power. Uh, uh, yeah. All my, all my white Christian brothers. Uh, big ups to them. Big ups right. to Brooklyn. Um, big ups to the clan mm-hmm. big of, the, up, of the cave bear. Big, big ups to Pixar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> done. Okay, we're done. Yeah. So, yeah, that's very good observation. And even though our next several uh, episodes will also be white men, we will try to remedy that in the future. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely love to do a Sofia Coppola episode, but I don't want to talk about Somewhere with Patrick anymore. I feel like we've uh, beat that horse yeah, pretty much we can, to a We can still hole. talk about... You know, lost uh, in translation. Lost in translation. Virgin suicides. Mar- Marie Antoinette. I love Marie Antoinette. Good. Yeah, I think we can just go into what we watched this week, eh? Sounds good to me, eh? Cool. Did you watch Strange Brew this week? Is <laughs> <laughs> that, that a? I'm sorry. I listen to to, to Canadian podcasts too much. Ah, that's true. A it's, lot of film podcasts start, are from Canada. They start Canada. Canada. Yeah, it's very dry up there. Mm-hmm. Canada, dry. Yeah, ginger ale. What did we watch this week? What did we watch this week? What did we watch this week? What movies? And I said, fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I, I do that. What'd you watch? What'd you watch? Uh, physical challenge. Um, <laughs> no, okay. I watched uh, two movies. I watched um, two movies that were on my uh, Mill Creek, which is a w- wonderful company that they find movies that are public domain, and then they they make the shittiest transfers possible. Um, it's like looking through a pinhole at a VHS oh, that boy. was taped off of local access television. Um, but, and, but they, it's about. $11 for 50 movies, so... And most of them aren't movies that you really want good transfers for anyway. Uh, most of them are just pretty shitty, so... But Was, was this the um, box set that you unboxed yeah. on, you, on YouTube? Yes, yes it was. Um, People go look the, for that. This is the Chillers, 50 Chillers, as opposed to the horror classics, which... Can you do it in the voice that you did on the YouTube video? No, I don't remember what that voice was. Um, was. I can do it in the voice of Old Dirty Bastard if you want me to. No, my okay. mom's right. All right, that's fine then. Because um, so it's Mother's Day tomorrow. Both of these movies are apparently either public domain or the rights to them are so cheap that Mill Creek was willing to spring from. Um, first movie I know is public domain. It's A Bucket of Blood by Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. And it's my favorite Roger Corman movie. I haven't seen that's. We'll definitely do Roger Corman in the future. Yeah. But I, 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 I love Bucket of Blood. For He's sure. a good white brother, yeah. Roger Corman. For sure. Um, yeah, but Buck of Blood is uh, basically has Dick Miller, which is one of Corman's favorite actors. Even this is the only lead role I believe he's ever had. Um, Isn't there a Bob Dylan song called Bucket of Blood or Buckets of Blood? No, 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 no. You're thinking of a Buckethead song. Oh, called okay. called Blood Sandwich. <laughs> okay, it's no. that one where he solos. Um, it's uh, it's a movie in which Dick Miller is a um, he's he's a not mentally challenged, but the very lowest notch above mentally challenged um, barista at a, a swank cafe. It's from 1960. Hold on. I, I did not. Uh, 1959. There we go. 59. So. This, 1959. This isn't even. Uh, this is pre-hippies. Uh, t- I mean, this is actually uh, beatniks 
It's a sort of a poking fun at <laughs> right. beat, beatniks. Um, and it's uh, so he works at a swank barista where poets and artists hang out. And he uh, he's very touched by one poet's uh, poem about how everything is art. And if you're not creating art, then you're just in the way. And that all artists are gods and everyone else is mere mortals. <laughs> so struck by this, he really, really, really wants to be an artist. So he gets a he gets a mound of clay. And he tries to fashion a shape out of it, and it's 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 really sad and funny. And it's he's he's seriously my favorite. Uh, I mean, horror the horror genre has like a, such a wonderful amount of uh, characters that are sort of just dumb. Um, the uh, well-meaning dumb guy characters in the horror movies, you know, like Dewey from Scream or the uh, <laughs> the uh, retarded guy who, who wants the chocolate bar in Friday Thirteenth Part Five. Like, there's just Oh god! This is definitely—he's definitely my favorite um, dumb guy in a horror movie. Um, and then he, what he does is he tries to—he hears that there's a cat stuck in the wall, and he tries to get it out, and he accidentally stabs it and kills it. Happens to me all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he, instead, he decides instead of letting the body go to waste or letting its owner know that he killed their cat, uh, he covers it in clay and passes it off as a sculpture. Um, and it's. People are real blown away by its realism. I don't. It's, I don't know how much detail you can get covering something that's furry in clay, but you know, it's just one of the <laughs> silly things about the movie I like. And everyone thinks he's a genius um, about. And it's called Dead Cat because <laughs> he, he he just is kind of very blunt and doesn't quite understand that uh, these people think he sculpted this. So. Um, then uh, everyone is telling him what a great artist he is, and someone someone gives him some uh, heroin. That's <laughs> a gift. That's nice. Yeah, that was it's. Um, yeah, so they, he gets and he gets followed home by a narc, and the narc is about to take him downtown, even though he didn't know it was heroin because he's just you know, he's slow, and then he ends up killing the narc, and doing the same thing with the narc's body, so it's him. Uh, making art out of people he kills or things he kills and it's so funny and it's got such a it's like it was originally like supposed to be a horror movie but they couldn't find anything scary about it so they just made a black comedy (laughs) and Dick Miller is so great in it and it is public domain so you can find it for free online or just pretty much anywhere but I couldn't I can't recommend it enough it's really funny Um, yeah so that's that and then I saw a movie I don't like so much, uh, which is Peter Jackson's first movie, Bad Taste. Now, see, you, you, you touch on something with with Bucket of Blood. You know, yeah. it's like it, that finds the right mix of comedy and, you know, I know it does. it's not horrific, but still, it takes well, a, a horrific horrific situation and makes it, you know, turns it into black comedy. <clears throat> now, Bad Taste, I don't think, works as successfully as an integration of horror and it's more of just like shockingly gory and well you know i don't remember too much about it i've seen it once and i have had no desire to revisit it although i am a peter jackson fan um you know uh you know sometimes you go on imdb and you read the trivia and -hmm. there's something about a movie that like no way yeah um well i went on imdb for this movie and i read the trivia and the trivia said that this was filmed over weekends over the course of four years and that he never had a script. He just sort of made up what he was going to do that weekend every time. And uh, that was not one of those times where I said no way because it's <laughs> – I, I kind of suspected that before I even read it because it is a mess. Still, it's sad when you hear that somebody spent four years of their life investing into a, this kind of a movie. Well, I mean 
it got I, him. I admire his enthusiasm and it's, you know, but <laughs> this is not, I don't think it's sad because it got him to, you know, it got him dead alive, which got, you know, like, well, sure. I mean, it led to something good. Right. It, and that's, you know, and so it, you know, it paid off for him, but the movie itself is horrible. Uh, it's really incoherent and hard to tell what's going on. And the, um, I mean, the acting's all bad and he's in it, right? Yeah, he's in it. Um, <clears throat> And it's and it's just like one of the great things about Dead Alive is it just keeps ratcheting up the insanity and it's got a good story and it's got like sort of fun characters and everything and this there are just like long patches where nothing happens at all um, mm-hmm. and you you don't exactly know what's going on and you don't exactly know who's trying to do what um, so it just ends up being so boring and yeah and it's and it's <laughs> I was funny thing I was thinking about is people. You know, when they were talking about, like, Lovely Bones or King Kong, they were like, you know, or even Lord of the Rings. They were kind of wishing that Peter Jackson would go back to his roots. But I kind of think that, uh, like... I guess they would consider Just Dead Alive his roots. Well, I, well I'm, what I'm saying is I kind of think that is going to his roots because the, one of the main things that sort of struck me about... Uh, about um, fuck, what's the movie? Even, what movie am I talking about? I forgot Bad Taste. <laughs> I am... I have uh, some kind of disease in my brain. Um, but uh, it's the thing about Bad Taste is it seems to be completely um, disinterested in its story or characters, and it's just interested in special effects. And that's kind of kind of the criticism I would aim towards King Kong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So I feel that it kind of is his roots. Um, it's, I don't know why he thought it would be good to make a movie without a script. Yeah, I don't know why over the course of four years he couldn't eventually write one. Um, uh, it's it's really bad, and yeah, there's scenes of people's heads exploding with goo coming out, and there's the infamous scene where all those aliens vomit into a big bowl, and the person has to drink it. <laughs> oh yeah, but it looks like green pudding. Like it's not gross. It's not gross like the dinner scene at Dead Alive. Oh god, that's unbearable. Yeah, where the with the custard and everything like right, that's right, 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 right. Yeah, it's not gross like that. It's it's just silly. And uh, it, but it's so plotless and dull that it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's just brief moments where you're like, "Oh, that's kind of neat. That's a little gag he did." And then, and then you wait another ten minutes for that to happen again. It's just all about showing off your goopy gore and right, you know. And it worked for him. So I mean, what do I know? But it's a horrible movie. Well, it led to Meet the Feebles, <laughs> which is not much better in my opinion. I mean, oh, no. I, I think it's I've, I think it's funny. But that's it's, the one I haven't seen. I think it's funny. I don't know. I just it's like the idea of you know integrating adult humor into the world of the Muppets really at this point isn't that innovative. Maybe at the time it was like a clever idea, but nowadays you know with your Adult Swim and all that stuff, just it, it doesn't work as well in, in hindsight. But it has its moments. It's funny. I I don't think Jackson came into his own until. Uh, uh, Dead Alive and then Heavenly Creatures, which would probably be my favorite movie of his. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So those are the two. Yeah, those were the two. That's it. Okay. Well, I saw a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Could make my top ten. I don't know. I haven't decided. Obviously, we're not at the end of the year. Right. <laughs> saw a comic book movie crossed with Taxi Driver. And that would be James Gunn's Super. Right. Which um, <laughs> uh, r- really effectively uh, disarmed me 
I was surprised, not necessarily by how violent it was, because I was kind of anticipating the shock value with the violence. Um, I was fairly moved by the movie. Um, it's it's definitely a very personal story for 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 James Gunn. Uh, I, what's really interesting is that uh, his ex-wife Jenna Fisher is the one who um, edged him or egged him on to make this movie. Yeah, and <clears throat> suggested Rain Wilson because the main reason why he didn't get um, to make it for a while is because he couldn't find the right lead actor. And uh, he, he considered John C. Riley at one point, which would have been interesting, but. Uh, Rain Wilson definitely comes into his own here, not playing Dwight's fruit at all. Um, it's a very heartbreaking performance, and it definitely has uh, shades of, of uh, the kind of humor that, well, not necessarily, I mean, like the, just the dark humor, but it kind of reminds me of, <clears throat> you know, how an ordinary guy can be thrown into, you know, a really devastating circumstance, and it goes to his head. But, um, I mean, there's definitely shades of sort of, <laughs> he's potentially schizophrenic. There's, um, you know, some mental illness quality going on here with this movie. But um, it really worked for me in, in ways that I wasn't anticipating. I mean, obviously, it's very funny. It's very dark. But uh, <clears throat> just the story was very relatable. I do have a couple of issues with, like, some of the the music choices. Using a Cheap Trick song didn't really work for me at one point. Um Ellen Page is fucking incredible in this movie, and people who like have been uh, crapping on her for, like in Inception, or you know, just saying Who's that all crapping she... on her for Inception. I've heard that a lot of a lot of people really say, just yeah, just that she ruined the movie. Even my mom said that. <laughs> I think your mom is sexist. Possibly. I think your it's mom possibly. just was mad that it wasn't all dudes. No, she was just like, I didn't buy it. She's she looks too much like a little girl. I can't imagine her in the college setting and but like, leonardo dicaprio well doesn't look too young i don't know no he looks his age <laughs> he's grown up somewhat right i mean he, he's just he short no he looks he looks he looks the same as he did in titanic i don't, I, uh, I don't know i really think he does i mean he, he he's he has grown like, up since gilbert grape at least yes <laughs> yeah he, he doesn't look the same he did in the movie we're going to be talking about do we ever say we we're talking about sam raimi Wow. Yeah. That's okay. so weird. They know it. If they're listening, there's no way they can <laughs> listen to this and not know that it's Sam Raimi. It's on the iTunes. It's on the site. Yeah. So they know it. But anyway. That's funny. Um, no, but she's she's really super manic in this movie. Mm-hmm. And and not and it comes across as a very naturalistic performance. Everybody's really good in this movie. Kevin Bacon plays the villain. Uh, Liv Tyler plays Rain Wilson's wife who has a drug problem and winds up, uh, you know, uh, well, I guess Kevin Bacon is a drug dealer. Yeah, he's a drug dealer in this movie. He's trying to become a drug dealer anyway. Um, so, yeah, Liv Tyler winds up with him, and uh, uh, Rain Wilson just basically loses his shit and goes berserk, decides to become a superhero, and starts beating up bad guys with um, with a wrench. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 obviously people have been sort of emphasizing how violent the movie is and it certainly is it's it's but it's got the it's got a trauma quality to some of the makeup effects to where it's it's hard to say well yeah it what happens to the characters is 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 shocking but some of the violence almost you know is too over the top that it it's 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 one of those movies that sort of uh 
walks a fine line between being really funny and really tragic. Mm-hmm. And it never really, I don't think it suffers from tonal shifting in a way that's sort of jarring. And I, I, I really loved it. Well, I, I think that's, I think that's true of his other movie, uh, Slither. Yeah. I think Slither is a movie that works as a horror movie and as a comedy and it doesn't switch back and forth between the two. Yeah. But, you know, unlike something like Kick-Ass, this is not meant for mainstream audiences. It's, uh, it, there's a this reason. isn't a parody of superhero movies. Really. Was Kick-Ass a parody? I never really... I don't it's know. Not, I mean, not, you know, it's parodying. It's not a... It's not Naked Gun, but it's a parody. Yeah. It's spoofing them. It's, you know, it's taking the conventions of superhero movies and it's, you know, it's commenting on them and all that, but... It's sort of putting it in a real, a more realistic human way than... Like, it's... I, I know a lot of movies have been trying to... Like, the what, there was Defender... Couple other ones, I think, that have sort of. Uh, not, there was another one with like Michael Rappaport where he like took drugs and became. I think to become it was so- called Super as well. If I really? want to say that was Super. No. All right. Well, I'm going to look it up, but uh, you, you yeah. keep talking. <clears throat> um, Michael Rooker is in it. He's real. He's, he's kind of a lot of fun in this movie. He's got like a. Oh, special! A, that movie was called oh, Special. Okay. Yeah. Where he he's taking medication and he thinks it can give some superpowers. Right. That was a good one. But I don't. But this sounds more like a uh, taxi driver, like closer to taxi driver than it. Yeah, to it, watch it, it, it builds up in a very similar way. I, but it's so weird how like you want to cheer him on, but you feel horrible at the same time. And I guess it's that sort of ambiguity of the you know of, of the movie where obviously what he's doing is completely wrong. But. I mean, I guess it's sort of commenting. Uh, it's like a deconstructing of violence in, in in movies and why we, but it doesn't do it in the way that something like Funny Games would 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 do. All right, but it definitely has that sort of undertone to it that I found really interesting. Um, and it's shot it's shot a lot like a I don't know like a like a, um uh, who's who's the guy who did uh, the Harmony Korine movies like Kids. It's shot like really raw and sort of documentary mm-hmm. and. Uh, Larry Clark is who I was thinking about. It's shot in that sort of grainy. It's almost like it, it could have been made on home video, but not really. Still, it, it's I don't know. It's an insane movie that was really effective for me, and I I, I can't recommend it enough. It's great. <laughs> so, um, and that's that's your that's your surprise. Okay. Moving right along, you can you can hear when there's when there's dead air. Why we need a guest sometimes, but no. Um, let's get to Mildred Pierce. I'm sorry, I've been sleeping for the past. What were you talking about? <laughs> Movies. Oh, fuck! Are we recording? We are. All right, hold on. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the. <laughs> yeah. Are you Mildred Pierce? Mildred Pierce is a Todd Haynes remake of the 1945 film Noir. Can, can we call them Directors Directors Club alum? <laughs> Todd Haynes. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah, we should. He's a, he's a Directors Club alumni. Well, we mentioned this that he was doing this. and uh, Against his will, I'm sure. I don't know. It's an interesting... I, I mean, it's weird. It's definitely his most conventional work. No, I mean, it's against his will. Like, oh. we're calling him an alumni, oh, okay. but he didn't have anything to do with it. Oh, okay. I I'm thought sorry. maybe you were saying that he made this movie against his will. No, no, no. This sounds totally I mean, he, up his alley. It is, t- it is totally up his alley, but it, at the same time, it's like uh, he basically did a revisionist with, you know, form of 
uh, filmmaking with with Far From Heaven, and <clears throat> just sort of touched on you know themes that women go through today in you know uh, 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 the, the the setting of um, older of an older era, and the the weird thing about this is that I mean obviously with Todd Haynes he likes to turn uh, you know a genre onto its onto its ear and like play around a little bit with it. He doesn't really do anything here overtly cinematic in terms of either the cinematography. It's very um, simple in in the way it's it's structured. There's not a lot of like playing around with narrative or anything. It's a very straightforward, simple story in which uh, Kate Winslet plays kind of an overprotective, self-sacrificing mother who... Uh, gets a divorce from her husband and has to raise her daughter on her own. And her daughter is a complete narcissist, even at the age of six or some, seven. And <clears throat> she falls in love with a new guy played by Guy Pierce, who's really good in this movie. And from there, she sort of builds her own uh, restaurant um, chain of sorts. Cause she builds three restaurants after just becoming a waitress and learning the business and from there, there's you know some conspiracies going on where um, um, her her accountant is sort of manipulating her to get more money and take over the business. So there's that angle going on, but it mostly focuses on the relationship between uh, Kate Winslet, um, Mildred Pierce, and uh, her daughter Veja, Veda, mm-hmm. played by Evan Rachel Wood, who I think for the first time has really impressed me. I'd, I'd never really been a big fan of hers but in this she really gave it her all and put uh but the weird thing is like she doesn't show up till part four i think and there's this is a mini series by right. the way it's not uh you know it's it's i think it's like six well, six not part it's five parts okay. i can't remember the specific length because i think not each of them were uh, an equal amount uh but the majority of them were 45 minutes and maybe the last one was like an hour and 10 or something um it, it drags in spots when you're stretching out a story, but um, it's more faithful to the book from what I've, I haven't read the book, but from what I heard, it's a lot more faithful to the book in which the film noir aspect of, of the original is completely stripped away in this movie to where there is not even a murder, which I like, it's weird when you have expectations going into something, especially with a remake and I'm watching this going, okay, it's going to build up to it. It's going to build up. Here it comes. And yeah, and it, it doesn't really happen. Yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you if you'd seen the original. Yeah, and I love the original. Yeah, I, I think I it's, like that it's, movie a lot. Amazing cinematography in that, and um, what's her name? Joan Crawford. Yeah, Joan Crawford's movie. excellent in that movie for sure. Um, but yeah, it's sort of it, it. It takes the 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 mystery element out of out of the original and just basically creates a domestic drama, not unlike Far from Heaven, in which you know a woman has to deal with, uh, being. Not necessarily repressed, but uh, just dealing with a lot of issues and most mostly having a daughter who is the biggest bitch in the world. Mm-hmm. And how do you handle, <laughs> like you want to be a, a loving mother, but you also have to be a disciplinarian and she can't find the right balance between the two. So obviously they're both very flawed. Veda is a lot more... Uh, destructive in 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 what she does to hurt her mother, and 
it's an excellent it's an excellent movie, but I I kind of I don't know. Maybe it's because it's Todd Haynes. I'm expecting something a little bit more. Um, I don't want it, not controversial, but just challenging. I don't know. Maybe maybe something. You know where I I felt like oh this guy is gonna really, you know, bring some and plus it's HBO. I I mean it, it it's it's not exactly like, you know. Well, what I Breaking can, Bad. You know, you call, well, yeah, but what you called you you called Mildred Pierce had film noir aspects, but I always consider it very pretty straightforward as a melodrama. Yeah. So I mean that's that's sort of what I expected from the miniseries as well. It's just it would be a mel it's just a melodrama. I wasn't you know. But it's not really spectacular melodrama other than watching great acting, and there's nothing wrong with that. I was th- certainly compelled the whole way through. It's been a while since Kate Winslet was in something. The reader, probably, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it has been a couple of years. I mean, she's fantastic in this movie, as she always is. I, I love everything. She's pretty much every Kate Winslet movie I think I've liked to some degree or another. But um, it's exactly what I expected it would be. And since I'm a big Todd Haynes fan, maybe I expected a little more, but it certainly, you know, it worked. As right. a, you know, I mean, I don't know if it needed to be a miniseries. Honestly, it could have just been a straightforward movie. But really, yeah, I think so. Because I mean, there's there's parts of it not necessarily where it drags, but you could have seen it being cut out, and it would have it wouldn't have hindered well, the dramatic a, impact. A movie, uh, if it was cut down to like a two and a half hour movie, that would be half the time. So you would say like half of the miniseries is unnecessary. No, not half. Not half. Just like I don't know, you could have trimmed maybe a half hour from the whole thing and it would have been fine so no it, it was good yeah. I, I definitely recommend it I think I just wished Todd Haynes would have brought something a little bit more and that's that's where I'm I'm having a brain fart what the word is I'm looking for mm-hmm. uh, oh bad taste <laughs> bad taste <laughs> and that was, that's the word I was looking for before oh yeah. the movie and it was good. I have uh, yeah, I have HBO on demand, so I'm definitely gonna have to check it out. It's, the only problem is, I usually whenever I'm watching stuff, I'm watching it over at Carly's. Yeah, and we're watching it while her dad's asleep, and the her air conditioning turns on and off randomly. So it's like a struggle, constant struggle with the volume between trying to get trying to be able to hear the dialogue, which I have poor hearing anyway, mm-hmm. and then trying not so it's not too loud that it wakes up her dad, and then. So it's a whole hassle uh, for, you know, uh, so it, yeah, if I can't put on subtitles, then I generally don't even bother. So I might yeah. just wait till for the DVD. But I did want to bringly, quick, bringly? Yeah. Qu- well, I want to bring up Wilford Brimley. No, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to quickly bring up um, a movie I saw a couple of months ago that I keep, me- I-, I keep forgetting to mention because um, – I don't know. It's I don't know if I'm. It, I, I'm like so taken by this movie, but it's also not out on DVD and it just played on HBO. But I'm hoping people can seek it out. It's called The Sunset Limited, and it was directed by Tommy Lee Jones, written by Cormac McCarthy, who did The Road, No Country for Old Men. There really is no plot to this movie. It is 90 minutes of two men in one room with their opposing beliefs, arguing, having profoundly intellectual conversations incredibly moving performances and 
I, What's I, moving about it? It's from how they're able to articulate how 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 passionately they believe in something, and how Tommy Lee Jones' characters, how his character passionately doesn't believe in anything, and that comes across in such a unique way with his performance, to where. Yeah, he seems like a blank slate. He seems like he's just going to sit there. He seems like he has no... And then he explodes with why he is the way he is. And you kind of wonder... So there is a history to the characters. There's definitely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's not all about the present. Obviously, it, 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 the, the, the reason why Tommy Lee Jones is in Samuel L. Jackson's apartment is because he tried to kill himself. And Samuel L. Jackson saved him. And so he's trying to, you know... Okay, make so make sure he doesn't go back out. So there is the a world. story. There is. There right. is. I, I mean, but it's it, it's basically just trying to figure out why would he do it? Uh-huh. Why did he try to commit suicide? He's sort of trying to be a, a therapist and, and and a priest, and and that's there's shades of his character in Black Snake Moan in this move in this performance uh-huh. as well, where he's like trying to save him and teach him like, well, this is what's great about life, and this is the amazing things that have happened to me and stuff, and. I am so into the idea of watching movies that are like plays that are very theatrical in, in style and execution. Um, I mean, I'm still probably my favorite play of all time will always be Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And I, I watched that movie religiously and I feel like this is kind of appealing to my sensibilities lately where I want something minimal. I want just a few characters much like um, the servant, which we've raved about over and over mm-hmm. again. And that's that. This this movie here appealed to exactly what I want right now. The two people in a room talking thing, it it goes either way for me. Sometimes I fucking can't stand it. Like uh, it could happen. Uh, conversations with other women, which is the movie with. It's, oh yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, and that was and that was just basically just Helena Bonham Carter and um, Aaron Eckhart, and it's the entire movie's in split screen, and it's mm-hmm. it's just so boring and doesn't. I don't know. So it does, I I can't say that I'm. I even despite your recommendation, I can't say I'm super thrilled to or, or super amped to check this movie out. Well, if you just love especially hearing super, these kinds of conversations, especially if it's really intellectual, because I like conversations, but I like the people but behind. I don't, I don't give a shit about ideas. I like the way people communicate. But you like Waking Life. That's that's my point. What they say is stupid. It's it's just about the way people. Like that's what I like about Waking Life is that it's unpretentious. That it's not putting these ideas forward as true or false. It's just about the way people talk about big ideas. Well, yeah. I mean, I I, I don't think Samuel Jackson's character is necessarily preaching to us and in, in, in like what is so great about life. It's just his own beliefs are that strong, and it's not necessarily like saying this is. And and then, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, he has some amazing retorts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, allow me to retort. So no, I, th- I, I, and, and, the f- and, and it was directed, really understated. And it, was, and it was directed by Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really understated. It's just, and it doesn't have a, a necessarily pat ending. It's just one room with some big ideas and a lot of conflict and drama just from the, uh, exchange of dialogue, which I just find consistently compelling. I mean, maybe it started with, it, it probably started before this, but with something like, um, before sunrise when that came out i'm not a big fan of the characters themselves but i loved what they were talking about in that movie and then uh before sunset came out what like 15 years later or something and i i I fucking loved that movie Mm -hmm. i still haven't seen either of those 
Yeah, I don't know how you'd feel about them. They're they're really self-absorbed characters. Well, the thing is, what's interesting is I, I kind of feel like really I wouldn't like them because they're because Ethan Hawke's. In yeah, it. Ethan Hawke's terrible. But <laughs> I mean, in the first one, Ethan Hawke is fucking Ethan Hawke, and it's annoying. Oh god! In the second one, he matures because I think he brings himself um, and what he went through with Uma Thurman to the second movie because in, he's going through a separation. In the movie, he's just promoting his book. He's going around the world. He's touring, and um, it's like I, I I don't know. Before Sunset really hit me emotionally, whereas before Sunset or bef- I get them fucking confused. Yeah. Before Sunrise, the original, I think that's what it was. Uh, before Sunrise was a lot more about idealistic young love, sort of just talking which, about it. Which just basically means I won't like it. Probably not. Because <laughs> I, I, I feel can't like I feel like shit. you would possibly like Before Sunset. Because it's really cynical, and not necessarily cynical. No, no, it's it's more realistic about love and relationships. It's like they've been through a lot of shit since the last time they had this, you know, uh, emotional night together where they felt like anything was possible. But then they never met up again in that period of time. They went through all these relationships, and all this shit happened, and they've become very jaded as a result. And they sort of share all this together during a reunion. I, I, I buy into the more of like the reunion and like some of the uh, conflict that goes into like, why haven't I seen you in forever? What have you been up to? Probably because I've been I've been doing that mm-hmm. <laughs> with some of my friends over the years where you, you have these large gaps of time where you don't hang out as much. And once you get back together, you learn a lot about their lives. It's really interesting. So that's what I, I love before sunset. And that's sorry. Do you have to sorry about the, that tangent. That's no, fine. It's fine. You need more. We, we we need more of that. Do you need Do you need to see before sunrise in order to see? I don't think so. No, I mean, I mean, if you want to get some more context and backstory, it's there. But it's before sunrise is basically like, oh, we're gonna be in love forever. This is awesome. So we just met in one so night. It's not like cool. it's it's not like life during wartime where it's like if you haven't seen happiness, it literally means nothing. Um, no. No, I don't think so. I, I, I definitely think you could still watch Before Sunset and get the sense of um, what happened in the first movie. Because they talk about it, too. They I'll talk about see both. They, put, they talked about it. I mean, we're going to definitely have to do Richard Linkletter in the future, and that'll be a great episode, because he's made some amazing films. And some bad ones, but for the most part, I, 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 I would say that Before Sunset and Waking Life, I think they came out around the same time, or pretty close. Mm-hmm. Those might be my two favorites, and that might say something about me. I just fucking love listening to people talk, and it could also explain why I listen to so many podcasts. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so, I, so yeah, um, Tommy Lee Jones directed Sunset Limited, and he also directed this movie, uh, Western. Have you seen The Three Burials of Melquiades Melqui- Estrada? There you go. Have you, so you've seen that. Love it. Yeah, that's really great. So, mm-hmm. Did he do anything else? Um, a TV movie from 1995 called The Good Old Boys. Let me see what this is about. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, is it a movie about the Blues Brothers country singers? This, it really, this is, I think this is, uh, this is like part of an advertising campaign where they're trying to get people not to see it because it is like a golden uh, floating head sunset. Uh, it's like the most boring. <laughs> it's like I, I, keeping my eyes on it is so hard to do. My eyes just slide off it like a reverse black hole or something. It's reflects light. Or, so I guess Demir. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck it. Anyway, it's uh, it's about an aging cowboy that must choose be- between his desire to remain free and the responsibilities of maintaining a family. And it's mm. Tommy Lee Jones, Terry Kinney, Sissy Spacek, Francis McDormand, Wilford Brimley, 
Matt Damon. Wow, it's a TV movie. I guess Matt Damon wasn't huge in 95. Um, hmm. Bruce McGill. They got Park Overall, which is a great, I don't know who that is, but great name. Park Overall. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great last name. Yeah. I wish I had a last name like that. It's overall. interesting, though. Now that I think about it, I wonder if, I mean, obviously, since Tommy Lee Jones was in No Country for Old Men and, you know, the Cormac McCarthy connection is, is there. It's, it's like his character in Sunset Limited could have been could have been the sheriff who's given up on the world, mm-hmm. you know, and just fucking like says, I, I'm not going to deal with this shit anymore. Well, I think that's kind of a, a it's interesting. That's, I think that's, there's I think interesting that's, mostly, that's a, I think that's a Cormac McCarthy kind yeah. of statement. No, no, I know. Is, is the character who is sort of just doesn't believe mm-hmm. in anything. Yeah. His, his nihilism can be really hard to take, mm-hmm. but it's not that I identify with it. I just find it fascinating. I find people who have lost all hope, very interesting characters, mostly because like, it's probably the, uh, the, the 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 psychoanalytic you know quality in me where I'm like well why the fuck did they get to that point how did they get to that point so that's really interesting and I just think that they're uh, they're intelligent that's that's, well, that's my it? take on nihilism it's well just, that's logical that's a good point no I mean like I can I can definitely understand how some people get into those frames of mind but anyway not not on a consistent consistent basis but woo are you ready. To talk about Sam Raimi. Oh fuck yes, Sam Raimi. Sam Did I tell you, Raimi. That's my number one name. If I ever started a rock band, was the Raimis. I think that'd be a great rock band name. Yeah. My number two name is the Flesh Capades, which I think would make a make a great Raimi movie. I'm sure there's a band called the Deadites already. Yeah, the Deadites. I'm sure the Evil Deads. Oh God. The Ashes, decapitated hands. <laughs> We I'm should... not saying any of these bands actually recorded anything, but they definitely a bunch of seventh graders definitely got together and decided to. We should form record. A band called we the should Dead record Eyes. a bonus episode where we just talk about the. Uh, there's there's a listing. There's a, definitely a website where, where there's just a shitload of horrible band names mm-hmm. that, are, that are funny, like Monkey Fucks Football, right? You know, just... or any any band that we've we ever performed with in the DIY scene. Ooh yeah, yeah. Perpetual Dusk at Curtsy Caverns. Yeah, uh, Dustin and the Furniture. Clever. Why do I hear fuzz? You hear fuzz? It's because the police are coming. Oh. Whoop, whoop. That's the Caught sound of the, the police. Fuzz? Yeah. Caught by the fuzz? Either either that or Velvet Underground's about to start playing. Whoa. Uh, either way, I think we should go on to Sam Raimi. Of Buster Keaton, Three Stooges, and Roger Corman, Sam Raimi became fascinated with making films when his father bought him a movie camera one day, and he began to make Super 8 movies with his childhood friend, Bruce Campbell. In college, he teamed up with his brother's roommate, Robert Tappert, as well as Campbell, to shoot a short film entitled Within the Woods in 1978. This 32-minute horror film raised... Uh, around $375,000, and it would later evolve into The Evil Dead. This film became a cult success 
and largely attributed to um, a quote from Stephen King on the box, who called it the scariest movie of the year, I believe. And it effectively launched Raimi's career as a horror director. His second film was a collaboration with the Coen brothers, which was intended as a surreal comic book film noir entitled Crime Wave. Then after the release of Evil Dead and uh, Raimi and the Coen brothers collaborated together, uh, a publicist who was responsible for the for the mainstream release of uh, the first Evil Dead suggested that they work on a sequel. Raimi scoffed at the idea, but eventually um, Shapiro himself actually put out ads announcing the sequel regardless, and Raimi had decided with the failure of Crime Wave to return to the horror genre with the seminal film Evil Dead 2 which toned down the savage gruesomeness of the original in favor of slapstick, showcasing his love for integrating the comedic with the horrific. And now it brings us to Evil Dead 2. In, I want to say, 1991-1992, I had gotten my first membership to a video store, a mom-and-pop video store near my house. And Maybe as an act of rebellion, I wanted to test the limitations of of my mother, who would undoubtedly come downstairs to see what I was watching. And I decided to rent Evil Dead 2 based on the uh, cover art in which Bruce Campbell was being choked to death by a severed hand. And I found that to be uh, a wonderful image, and I wanted to see where why this image was in this movie. And I'd been a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street and quite a few horror movies of uh, of that time, and I liked when gore would push boundaries. So when I saw it, I initially didn't know what to make of it. It was, uh, I believe at the time, the the first point of view shot in which uh, Bruce Campbell is being dragged by by the evil force into the air, and that's when my mom came down and said, you're taking this fucking movie home, Mm -hmm. or home, (laughs) to the back to the video store. Uh, she she was pretty disgusted and revolted, but eventually, by uh, that scene, yeah, I know. I don't, she we didn't get that far into it, deep into the movie. So I'm sure she, but she didn't watch the whole thing. She just came down at that point and just said, "You're taking this movie back. I'm not going to have you watch this." Movie. I think she just said something like morally against <laughs> Snorri Cam, probably. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then eventually uh, it was on HBO. I was able to watch it that way in the same way that I watched Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer in which my parents would be sound asleep upstairs and I finally got to see Evil Dead 2 in its entirety and it completely changed um how I viewed movies mainly because of the energetic camera work, but you know, it, it's 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 crazy rewatching it all these years later because a, a lot of it I attribute it to the fact that it's completely my kind of humor when which things are really over the top. And yet I'm not really a big fl- a fan of slapstick, but in, in this setting, for some reason, it works because of how over the top it is. I mean, I've watched my fair share of trauma films and always thought they were kind of funny, but I have no desire to watch gore for gore's sake, really, these days. But there's something about Evil Dead 2. It probably just taps into, you know, uh, when I was younger and also... Um, the, the thing that really struck me was how a movie is directed because the camera seemed to be taking on a life of its own where it was going places. You know, I, I used to say this and people would think I'm crazy, but I was 
convinced at the time that Sam Raimi was right up there with Orson Welles because of the sort of innovation behind his camera work. And I realized a lot of it had been inspired by, um, you know, silent film era and whatnot. But he, he put he put the camera in really interesting places and did things like break, you know, use a camera to break down, a you know, a door and do these really inventive POV shots. And, you know, back at, back in the time, there weren't any low ang- low camera angle shots until Orson Welles decided to drill a hole into the ground, uh, you know, the hardwood floor and say, let's point it this way. Let's put the camera, you know, on, on this angle and try this and let's make it do that. And I feel like, you know, when I was taking a film class at Purdue, I, I mean, I, I made that bold statement. I said, I, I feel like Sam Raimi's camera work, his his um, energy behind the camera and his um, confidence, his control of the medium seemed really applicable and seemed really inspiring. Um, and as time goes on, I know he's had his fair share of missteps, but when I f- it felt like it came full circle for me when I saw Spider-Man 2 in the hospital sequence because it brought me back to, well, this is... This is what Sam Raimi does. He is not necessarily an actor's filmmaker. No, I would but, definitely say uh, that. I love insane uh, cinematography. I love just just something about him. It, it, he seems like a, he seems like a, a, a guy where if he, if, he was, if he was your neighbor and you needed to borrow some barbecue sauce for that barbecue, he'd be like, "Fuck yeah, here's your barbecue sauce." That's, <laughs> and that's, every time, anytime here's I've seen your him, barbecue sauce. <laughs> anytime I've Anytime I've seen Sam Raimi in interviews, he seems like the nicest, most down-to-earth guy. He seems fun. I don't know. There's just something about that guy that really appeals to me, and maybe it's just because all he really did was pick up a little home video camera when he was a kid and just did little crazy movies like I did. But he managed to evolve, I think, over the years. The thing about uh, Peter Bogdanovich I always felt is that he (laughs) felt like the kind of guy who would – he would keep bottles of mustard in his. <laughs> well, I admire David Mamet too, but he seems like a dick. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing about David Mamet. Is you to... would ask David Mamet to pass the salt, and David Mamet would give you a look first. Yeah. And then um, I remember one time when I was. <laughs> tell me why you want this salt. Tell no. Tell yeah. me. Tell me why you want this salt. I was uh, I was next door neighbors with uh, John Cassavetes, and uh, my frisbee when I was because I was, I was like five, and my frisbee went into his yard, and he just I asked to go in the backyard and get it. He was just could not have been more of a dick. He was just, no. No, I'm like I know I know exactly no, yeah. But uh, yeah, Sam Raimi barbecue sauce. The hometown guy, like just a regular <laughs> down to earth Midwestern guy. It's like I could see him being my next door neighbor, and if I ran out of something, I could I would feel comfortable knocking on his door and be like, "You're talking about." <laughs> I think I think I just I just think he's a he's a regular down to earth dude. Yeah, with the like... crazy camera work. Yeah, let's get back to the camera work. I can't get enough of it. Jim, hey Jim, what do you what do you think he tips waitresses? Tips waitresses? Yeah, what do you think? You think he's the kind of guy who does fifteen percent? You think he goes twenty percent? I would hope so. I would think so. Yeah, I would hope yeah. he goes twenty percent. He sure. seems like a twenty percent guy to you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. That's okay. That's interesting. Well, I've seen a lot of behind the scenes stuff with that guy. Yeah, he seems cool. He wears a suit on set. You know, he seems like Hitchcock. He seems classy, but also, you know, he's a guy who loves his Three Stooges. Yeah. I mean, it, I I just liked I like I like him, and it comes across in his movies. Like, oh, I don't know why. I just, it just there's just something about Sam Raimi's movies that appeal to me on every level, even when they're really bad. I still find something redeeming in them. 
Well, I, I they could be just a, 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 you know a, a one camera shot. I can't go that far because I in preparation for what in preparation for uh, I watched a very bad Samurai movie we're talking about later for well, this yeah, episode. But I um, know. It, it, it's bad. I, I'm not going to defend it, but. But there's, I mean, there's no enjoyment to be had. But my point is, uh, I think I, I would say that uh, Sam Raimi, when he's on, um, he seems to be having more fun than most directors. That's what I mean. Um, yeah. I think I, th- I think this movie is like I think for Evil Dead, he was the first one. Um, he, and, set, he set out to make a horror movie, essentially. But, yes, but Evil Dead Two, it's and in Evil Dead Two, he made a Sam Raimi movie. Yeah, where it's a comedy. It has horror aspects. Um, and it's kind of a trip. And here's the other thing about Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 is they've sort of, I mean, they're not as culturally big as something like Friday the 13th mm-hmm. or Nightmare on Elm Street. But anyone who likes horror movies, they're they're very mainstream movies. Right. Um, for anyone who's even semi-aware of horror movies, these are very mainstream, big, important movies. And I think that people forget sometimes how fucking weird they are. And I'm not just talking about, like, the crazy camera work or the fact that the camera pans by beams in the ceiling and there's a sound effect that goes by with the beams despite the fact that it, there's no – it's just like wow, wow. Yeah, like, his sound design is really he, fascinating. But, like, in – okay, <laughs> in Evil Dead 2 <laughs> – in Evil Dead 2, they talk to the – they talk to the uh, what's the main girl's name? She's by the way, she's horrible in Lin- this movie. Lin- Linda? No, Linda? No, no, not the. the, the what do you mean the the uh, girl that's the daughter of the? Yeah, the daughter of the professor. Uh, yeah, I can't remember her name offhand. All right. Anyway, so they see they see her dead. <laughs> they see her dead father. <laughs> Save my soul. Uh, he cuts off his hand and replaces it with a chainsaw. By the way, my favorite. You, you've said that your favorite um, Sam Raimi moment is the hospital scene in Spider-Man 2. Probably. My favorite is definitely um, Bruce Campbell fighting with his hand. Yeah. Because there's something, like, I I don't think... I think Speaking Bruce, of Buster Keaton. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, definitely. And, I mean, that's more Three Stooges kind of stuff than uh, Buster Keaton, but... Yeah, I, I think, think the skeleton stuff in Army of Darkness is his most Three Stooges. Well, that's, that's direct reference to yeah. Three Stooges. But my point is, um, uh, I think... Bruce Campbell, I think, like, the Bruce Campbell that everyone knows and loves. Not in the first one. Don't I don't think he's in the first one, though he is an interesting character in the first one. It's not like he's shitty. Yeah. He no, is interesting, and he, okay. is, and he is charismatic, but he's not really as confident an actor, and he's not really... He doesn't really know how to hit that pulpy, smarmy thing place yet, and I think the, the kind of the Bruce Campbell everyone loves is in Army of Darkness, um, because I don't think he quite hits it in Evil Dead 2 either, though he's closer... Um, but and I think I think every the, I think the Bruce Campbell everyone loves is an army Army of Darkness, and I think the Evil Dead everyone loves is Evil Dead Two. Um, yeah, that would make sense. I mean, in Army but, of Darkness, every every line of dialogue he has is there a one liner. There is something about <clears throat> the way Bruce Campbell approaches him fighting with his hand, where it literally he forgets that that he's in a haunted cabin in the woods where zombie like. That's the other weird thing about this movie. Like, you don't understand the rules or anything about what's going on. Like, well, it's the same goes for uh, Hausu. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and this is. Uh, I would think uh, that's really inspired. Or th- I that- don't think I don't know if they were inspired because I know this because I like Hausu was a J- Japanese movie. I'm not sure if it even made it over to the states. It's possible. Yeah, but it's just, they are it, very similar. That- and when I watched Hausu, I'm like, oh, this is exactly my kind of movie <laughs> yeah I, was, I, I thought i thought it was a little closer to suspiria than it was to yeah uh sam raimi but there was definitely 
it was definitely more Sam Raimi than it just lives in its own universe, right? And it's but and it's and you're not exactly and but yeah, the thing about Evil Dead too is like what the fuck? Like people randomly turn into zombies, and then there are zombies who can turn into regular people, and they're ghosts, and then they can fly around and. Uh, yeah, I don't understand the mythology. I, yeah, that's and that's one of the great things about it is that you you really do it's really imaginative and inventive, and it's not trying to be a zombie movie. It's not trying to be a slasher movie. It's it's a Sam Raimi movie. It's just trying to be fun. Yeah, and, and it's there's just something I don't know. Like he he, he definitely brought that you know in Spider Man two a little bit in Spider Man, although it gets more conventional towards the end, but. I'm, I think Evil Dead 2 will probably remain my favorite Sam Raimi movie because of how much fun right. it is. My favorite the thing about the sequence between him and his hand is he for, he like kind of forgets everything that's going on around him and it's suddenly like really personal. Like, yeah. some, like the way Bruce Campbell does it, like it is so personal. He fucking hates that fucking hand. Like he has already like it starts off he's crying to the gods or whatever. Why you bastards? Give me back my hand. But then, like, five minutes later, he has already forgotten all that, and he just wants to punish that mm-hmm. for hitting him in the head with, with plates, <laughs> plates and then trying to drag him. Oh, and the that was that's definitely one of my favorite moments as a kid is when I first saw this. Because I saw this before I saw Evil Dead 1, because I heard that yeah. this remakes the first one within the first ten minutes. So I'm like, all right, well, then it doesn't matter. Because they couldn't get the rights to the first movie. Um, also, the probably the other sequence that I adore in this movie is the um, when the... Uh, the uh, deer on the wall and the lamp. Oh yeah, and every everyone's laughing, and yeah. then he starts laughing and starts dancing laughing with the lamp in the camera. No, yeah. it's it's the da- it's the dancing with the lamp that kills me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where he sees the lamp and he's like, "Oh yes, yep." Um, but um, yeah, it's it is, and it's uh, what I love. Like my favorite moment of like almost any movie. Um, when I first saw it was when he stabs his hand and's like, "All right, who's laughing now?" <laughs> <laughs> he cuts his own hand off with a chainsaw, like just yeah. like cackling with glee as he's cutting off his limbs. He's amputating himself, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm winning." <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the- and this and a staple of uh, a lot of his movies is the um, I don't know if it's a montage per se, but it's a, it's it's a, it's it's a sequence of getting ready. For oh yeah, something. yeah, that. I fucking love the way those things are put together, mm-hmm. and you know we'll talk about Quick and the Dead in a minute too. That's yeah, that, that's ha- a that has those. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's just something about and, as, and it's something and, that uh, Edgar Wright is definitely always goes. Yes, with. for sure, for sure. And he and I just find that he he finds interesting angles for for the things that he's you know he's got a close up on or his push zooms yeah, and his tilting. In. He, yeah, he pushes in very interestingly. Um, it, Much like you know, like, it's, like Tarantino didn't kill Bill. He did a lot of that. I mean, it's, I guess it's a staple of you know the the, the black exploitation genre, or, or the, just um, the the grindhouse movies. Well, no, this this kind of camera work is definitely not a staple of those movies, which are very cheap. Um, you know, and those those kind of movies. Well, they're very in, in Raimi's movies are more seamless and sort of you know deliberate. But. Well, I this that's one of the other interesting things about Evil Dead Two is it is such a fun outstanding classic movie there is so it has so many problems with acting with acting is terrible the technical aspect like some of the some of the special effects are horrible like the like the eyeball flying in like i'm not the person who notices goofs and stuff but like the flyball the eyeball flying in the girl's mouth where, you, <laughs> like, where it's like clearly just a eyeball on a wire and they yeah. don't even try to like hide the fact and like and almost i feel like 
I feel like half of this film is well. That's kind of the, the fun of watching it. I think I think like half of this film is uh, ADR. Like, yep. I don't know who what shitty person they got to record the sound that they had to redo it all, but like the work shed gets um, mm-hmm. gets you know that's that's the famous one because I think that's the one that Kurt Russell wanted to hear from uh, <laughs> from Bruce Campbell. But uh, uh, but I think like. Like before that even happened, I counted like fifteen other ones that just cracked me up, um, and it's it has so many problems, but it is such a sing it has such a singular vision that even though it's not as perfectly achieved as something like say you know like Coen Brothers movies like like Raising Arizona are very flawless looking and you know um, uh, you know like an Edgar Wright movie they're very very detailed and very specific and everything works perfectly and mm-hmm. like this movie has is a lot sloppier and i think it actually yeah it, i think you're right it adds to it where where the fact that it isn't a tight story i think it's i think it's a better paced than uh the first movie mm-hmm. but the fact that the story doesn't really make sense and you're not exactly sure what's going on like and it's never really scary well no <laughs> but it's you know. again it's it's uh that's what i'm saying i don't it's like it's like it's not a horror movie it's a sam raimi movie yeah but if you're the type that and again we're you know we're 20 30 year old men we who have who watch horror movies, so we're not getting scared. But if you're the type who gets scared by gore, this is going to be very frightening. Oh yeah, um, but in the same way that Dead Alive was, right? Um, you know, there are people they they don't really detect tone and stuff. They just see gore and they're like, "Oh, that's scary." Yeah, like that's all you know. That's what the '80s pretty much was. But uh, yeah, it's and it's kind of it's it's just crazy, and you're never exactly sure how. I, I'm, 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 when I was watching, I was constantly forgetting how we got to this point. We were like, okay, and now everyone's in the basement, and they're like, and I'm like, wait a second, why did, why are they all in the basement now? And like, I couldn't remember what happened before because it's because the story is just yeah. so weird and ramshackle and and, but it's, but like that sort of adds to the charm because it's it really and that's sort of what I, I was I was gonna sort of bring up in the beginning is despite the fact that these are very mainstream very successful popular quoted to death i mean they have spinoffs like countless spinoffs where ash versus freddy you know like all that stuff ash versus marvel zombies like like he's a he's a you know he's a franchise now but you know evil dead one has a woman getting graphically raped by a tree yeah and and evil dead 2 has a woman getting raped by a tree implied not graphic Mm -hmm. and but evil dead 2 has the part where all the things are laughing at him and they talk to the, the dead ghost father and then there's the part where they're all looking around in different directions. You don't know what the fuck's going on. Like, these are weird, weird movies. I won't deny that. <laughs> um, and it, they totally earn their cult status. Um, I mean, it, this is sort of like the perfect cult movie because it is really great. It's really weird. It's also bad enough that you get why it wasn't huge success it isn't like oh i can't believe people didn't go crazy for evil ed 2 it's like no it's fucking crazy who would (laughs) (laughs) who would go crazy for evil Dead 2 and and uh you know and it has a huge fan base now and it's earned it's an earned fan base it's really good movie yeah Um, it's not my favorite raimi movie because again i think one of my ticks i've sort of come to realize is that i like movies that are well plotted and have a good pacing Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is that. I think this is more of like a roller coaster ride than any kind of story. Yeah, there's no real arcs. There's no. It's just. But you're a, not. I don't know. You're not really looking for that in this kind of a movie, though. 
No, I like. I know I like that, that kind of movie. I mean, Dead, I know, like I know, Dead Alive. I, that's what I like about Dead Alive. Dead Alive has character arcs and it has themes and stuff going throughout it. Well, I mean, that can certainly elevate a horror movie, but right. I don't know if it's mandatory. No, I don't, I'm not saying it's mandatory. I think this is a great movie. I'm just saying that's why this isn't my favorite. You know, because there isn't that, and I, I wouldn't even say this is. I would say Dead Alive is my favorite splat stick movie because hmm. I think the special effects are so astounding in Dead Alive, and I think. It does, and I think it is a little funnier, and I think it does, I don't think it's as weird, despite the fact that there's, you know, infamous gross, like, kitchen table scene and everything in Dead Alive. Yeah. I don't think it's nearly as weird or as uh, as kind of just bizarre as this movie, um, and I don't think the camera work is as good, but... They both love tilt zooms right into your face. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, <laughs> well, I mean, Peter Jackson was they, doing they it. They definitely inspired each other. I mean, the you know, Raimi and the Coen brothers were working together for a while. I think, well, Peter Jackson's totally inspired by Evil Dead. There's no question. Yeah. Um, but I do think I do think Dead Alive is the perfect culmination of Splatstick, even if it's not quite as interesting or as weird as Evil Dead Two. Well, but um, yeah, I'm I guess obviously nothing against Evil Dead Two, but I would say that again, a lot of it could just be nostalgia too. That brings right. you know adds another level of love for this movie because it's something that. You know, I had seen plenty of horror movies that did really inventive things. Obviously, with the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I was always really taken with the dream sequences, even if Freddy had became a caricature after a while. Like, just the inventiveness of some of the and dream sequences. And the set sequences. design is always yeah, the set outstanding. Design. But this is filmmaking, is, 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 as opposed yeah. to the set design or the, you know, the art, you know, the art design and all of that and those kind of movies. Like, they're kind of shot, generally speaking. This was the first time for a horror movie where I was like, how did he do that? And I really wish more people would realize, and again, maybe it's just because I have a fetish for tracking shots. Hmm, that's weird. Is that you? I don't know. Maybe. It's not mine, so... It just uh... popped up. That's okay. It happens. <laughs> okay, anyway. I wish more people would realize you can make hyperkinetic movies without having quick cuts. Because mm-hmm. that's not what this movie has. This movie isn't uh, Michael Bay or anything. This is... Uh... You know, it's 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 not it, and I I like movies that have the cam- crazy camera work, but without constantly cutting and making things kind of hard to tell what's going on. Yeah, yeah, but I'm 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 just saying, like I think the um, I think the fact that it's kind of weird and it's hard to understand what's going on and what leads to what, and the and the fact that there's not a really great good story or character arcs is why I don't put it on as often. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's not a movie that I revisit all the time. Because of that, it's because it's not, I don't, uh, but I, I did, I enjoyed the hell out of it when I watched it today. But at the same time, I was sort of like, all right, I'm not sure what, where I am right now. But uh, I guess I have the same problem with Suspiria, too. Suspiria is kind of hard to follow. It's confusing, for sure. But, you know, I mean, I I, I think that it, just finding that right mix of, of comedy and horror is, mm-hmm. is, 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 is very... Um, difficult to to attain and he 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 it's it's interesting that if you just watch evil dead and then evil dead 2 you'll see um sort of a transition into like you said uh, the official Z- Sam Raimi sensibility and then army of darkness comes along and becomes pretty much uh, uh, you know, I, uh, what's his name? Ray Harryhausen kind yeah, of it's, homage. There's, there's no horror in Army of Darkness. No, not at all. It's it's all goofy, over the top sort of uh, tributes to like uh, Sinbad and Jason and the Argonauts right. with the skeleton 
um, climax, which is kind of the least interesting part of the movie for me. Um, I, st- I, I still enjoy Army of Darkness, but it's my least favorite of the three. I mostly enjoy it because of uh, Bruce, Campbell. Bruce Campbell. Yeah, because Bruce he's, Campbell's he's so phenomenal. much fun in that. And, and it actually is a, like, you actually see where his character's coming from, where it's like this thing where he's, in the first movie, he's kind of a push, pushover, and he's <clears throat> getting thrown around and stuff. And, you know, and in the second movie, he's trying to take more control, but he's still way over his head. But now that he has battled these things, yeah. and these people, like, see him as this god... You, you see, it totally goes to his head. He, yeah, he totally goes to his head, and you see him like trying to play that he's superhero, even though he's not. And it's that's so much fun to watch. Um, I would say that uh, if I had, I would also say that uh, I think Drag Me to Hell. I can cons- I consider that an Evil Dead movie. Yeah, I, okay. I consider it Evil Dead Four. Mm-hmm. It's it's not. I mean, it obviously doesn't have Ash, and I know that's what a lot of people love about the movie. So. I think definitely in my top five Raimi moments would be the um, the uh, under uh, the parking garage sequence. With, oh, really? With, yeah, I love that. I think moment. my favorite part of Dra- and, Drag Me to Hell is the uh, is the seance where yeah. the goat starts screaming oh, yeah. at her. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Once I the goat dying. wants to get go- that gets those deadite yeah. eyes, I was like, oh yeah, he's back. I was I was Raimi's back. Yeah, but that uh, that parking lot parking garage sequence is really really well filmed and edited. Yeah, um, the editing in these movies is really tight and just really inventive. I can't get over like when I watch one of his movies, you know. And we're gonna get to the next movie that will have plenty yeah. of good things to say about that has some of the best camera shots mm-hmm. in um, in any western, in my opinion. So, well, that's... let's 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 just let's hit that shit. All right, uh, let's talk about the quick and the dead. This is my town. If you live to see the dawn, it's because I allow it. I decide who lives or who dies. In a town called Redemption, death is a way of life. Some fight for money. Some fight for glory. But one stranger has come here looking for something else. I now declare the quick draw competition open. Anybody can challenge anybody. Sign me up. Sure must want to die young, miss. She can play their game. Want to play poker with me, little lady? Looks like you're having a pretty good time playing with yourself. She can beat their odds. Did you ever kill anyone? Sure. I don't think you have. There's one thing she can't do. Why are you really here? You're no gunfighter. Forget the past. String him up! Put him on a chair! Some people Coming off the twin smash blockbuster mega hits, Dark Man and the Army of Darkness, Raimi turned his sights to the Western with 1995's The Quick and the Dead. Possessing a hyperkinetic style and pulpy tone, The Quick and the Dead is a story about a quick-draw contest in a small town held captive by an evil tycoon played by Gene Hackman, and an ensemble cast featuring Sharon Stone, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Russell Crowe, who all have a bone to pick with him. It won a Nobel Peace Prize for Lance Hendrickson mustache, and if you look closely, you can see Sharon Stone's nipple. So there's that. I've got a bone to pick with you. Yeah. Um... (laughs) <laughs> it's true. It's true. Sorry. They play the claymation skeletons. 
I I think this might be my favorite. As flawed as it is, I think this might be my favorite Sam Raimi. And you're not movie. a big western guy, correct? Uh, I like westerns a lot. Oh, okay, for some reason I thought you. Were. I just I don't I haven't seen enough. Right. But everyone, I mean, I like them. Um, but this is any, this is nothing like any western. No, it's not. It even it even but the thing like, the thing about this is though is that like after the box office failure of this movie, Sam Raimi basically came out and blamed himself and said it was a it was a a, 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 a sad case of. Um, style over substance, like his what he brought to the western that, genre, yeah. didn't elevate it this time. I think I think that's what his strength is, though. I think so too, because <laughs> I don't think he's an actor's director. I think this, no. I, th- I think this movie actually has some of the best acting in any of his movies because I think Gene Hackman always brings his A game, and I think, yeah, um, I think most of the actors are really good. In, uh, Sharon Stone, I really, really love as the badass. Mm-hmm. But then there's the sort of the moment once the quick draw contest starts and she realizes she has to kill people and she's never killed anyone. Yeah. Then she like freaks out and she realizes she's in over her head. And that was that that, that I did not believe as, as nearly as much. I feel like uh, I mean I realize that that's basically the the you know how the, the sort of um, story plays out is based around the the contest. I'm kind of like. It becomes really simplistic in that regard, where it's just all about the contest yep. and you know watching cool gunfights. I have no problems with that whatsoever. Um, I I, th- I think you might have tweeted about how you're disappointed a little bit that the that the the the, the, the movie loses focus on the on the town and the yeah, characters. Yeah, because and I think, and I, I kind of agree with that because he they introduce some really interesting characters like yeah. the pedophile and uh, Keith David's character. I mean, they do show up in the gunfights. But well, it becomes more about the contest and the motivation well, the thing behind is, the contest. The, the opening of the movie, it's introducing all these characters. There's this blind kid who sells – he shines shoes and yep. he's like a merchant. And there's Pat Hingle who runs a bar. And there's all of these characters and they're all united in one thing. is that they hate Gene Hackman's character because mm-hmm. he basically is like a mafia. He charges them protection money and taxes them too much. Yeah. Um, and he rules with an iron fist. And I really – and I, I had seen parts – bits and pieces of this on TV, but I'd never seen the whole thing. And I was really expecting it to be a the town comes together to take take him down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was disappointed. Like in Three Amigos with El Guapo. Right, right. I thought it was going to be an El Guapo situation. Exactly. Um, and it turned out to be El Nado. It was uh, – <laughs> can we edit that out? No. Can we edit that out? I've had some bad jokes on this episode. Then can you – Like the barbecue thing. What the fuck was that? Let's then keep can going. You, then you, can you kill Come me? Come on. This is um, – No, 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 It's no. a fun episode. But uh, so – and it kind of loses focus in that and it mostly focuses on uh, Sharon Stone, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Russell Crowe. And mm-hmm. I do think Sharon Stone is kind of weak towards the end and she's definitely the least interesting character. But I think it doesn't hurt the movie too much because – as far as protagonist responsibility, she doesn't have too many. Right. Um, it's it's a pretty ensemble cast. She's technically the lead, but Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe have pretty big parts, and their arcs yeah. are a lot more interesting than hers. And I guess Sam Raimi sort of knew that, and he, um, you know, he played to those. Did he write this movie? I don't believe so. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna I, see. I who honestly it. think that John Sayles had a draft at one point for the, for this movie. Um, it's very interesting. If I know I read about that on on, uh, on Wikipedia, but the, the the thing I I adore the most about the Quick and the Dead, especially once some of the gun plays uh, and and when Keith David gets shot, just the cinematography, oh yeah, um, is phenomenal. Just even just shots of shadows and and it's um, and I I love the way from the very first um, very first shot 
you see a landscape, very classic, traditional Western opening. Yeah. And then it starts to pan. And I was like, this is panning way too quickly. It starts <laughs> to pull back and it's like going way too quickly. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Sam Raimi. This isn't yep. a Western. This is a Sam Raimi movie with cowboy hats. Right. <laughs> and that's what I – I don't know. There, when, I, when I watch one of his movies, a couple exceptions, you can just find some sort of stylistic touch – that no other director will bring to yeah. a movie, and even you know, even if it doesn't, even if you can call it showing off, I don't, I don't think so. I find it really cool. <laughs> that's just the only word I can think of. Every well, I time it's like, that's a, a cool shot. I mean, there's a place for these movies. I would not call this one of the best shot westerns because no, John but, Ford made a lot of westerns. Well, yeah, I know that. I just like just so. Some that, of the... I, I disagree with with that with your with your statement there, but I I think there is definitely a place. For pulpy fun movies, and I think too many movies mistake stupidity for pulpy fun, and they don't know how to split the split the difference. Mm-hmm. And I think this is totally Sam Raimi's strength: is that um, he makes these movies which are really fun, and they, he has a and you could tell, and they're fun because you can tell he had fun making them. You can tell he you he know, has a love for the genre that he's filming at the time. Yeah, but it, at the same time, it's not an homage. This is a Sam Raimi movie. There's not like this doesn't look like any other western. No. There might be little you know, you know, tributes here and there to other movies, but this isn't you know this is a totally a Sam Raimi comic book kind of movie. And it's and I think because it has sort of really good, um, char- interesting characters. You know, all of the all of the gunslingers are so funny and weird yeah. and goofy and there's like there's the uh, there's, there's the native american guy who's just like no bullet can kill me and that's like all he can say is just no bullet can kill me i shot here i shot here and there's the guy who has like the skull makeup on but he gets interrupted putting it on and like the rest of the movie he only has 3 quarters of his face with skull makeup and yeah. i actually thought that looked really cool um and keith davis is really great uh, and I mean, Gene Hackman, he plays a lot of villains, just like an unforgiven. Yeah. And, um, but the thing about Gene Hackman, I, I've, I've, I've sort of observed, I've, you know, I saw the conversation sort of semi recently and, um, I think, and, uh, you know, Crimson Tide, I saw a couple months ago and he has this total moral certainty to him and that makes him such a good heavy yeah, and such a good antagonist because like there is you 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 look at him and there's no doubt in his mind that what he is is what he is and he believes this is the way it should be. He's really strong with his convictions, which and, which and that I, makes him really intense. Yeah, <clears throat> insane. And that's and it's the kind of thing where other actors, you know, they say, "Oh, this is a funny, pulpy, you know, western. This is a chance to play the cackling guy who ties women to railroad tracks." But like Gene Hackman um, really does anchor this movie down emotionally, and it that it's super, I think, successful, um, almost single handedly because of his performance. He creates another distinctive character, and you know, he could, it's like he could have just basically, you know, um, revised his persona from Unforgiven or any other Western caricature, but he 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 adds. Um, Artistic credibility, yeah, totally. <laughs> to the movie, totally. And it's really, it's really incredible to and that, watch. Yeah, and that touch, and that touch, just does so much wonders for the movie because the, there is a problem where movies can be style over substance, where you can watch them and you can enjoy them, and then you have nothing to say or to think about them afterwards. But I think what makes this movie stick is that the characters and the act, the performances are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even Leonardo DiCaprio is really fun. 
Um, Russell Crowe's good. He's he's able to be sullen with you know, but he's able to sort of have fun. There's a fun sequence where he's trying to get a cup of water. Yeah, and then like can because he's chained uh, to the town center, and there's a cup of water just put right out of his reach. And then later on, it rains, and he's like laughing, and, <laughs> and he's like the happiest man in the rain ever. And um, this movie had an effective jump for me when uh, the uh, the pedophile during the uh, shootout with the pedophile, and he comes back at the end when she when Sharon Stone's drinking the whiskey. Oh yeah, yeah, and he just comes back out of nowhere. That fucking like. Ugh. Yeah, the movie actually got to me in a lot of spots, and even even with the way things conclude, although I'm not really emotionally invested in the story or or Sharon Stone's um, plight, uh, right. I guess. But it's when you find out exactly what happened to her father, I I, I felt for her. I, it's like that that shocked that was a me. Fun twist. Yeah, it was a little, a little a little surprising there. I wasn't expecting it to go that way, um, but nevertheless. What can I say? You know, even with just the shot of sunlight going through a bullet hole, once again, my oh mouth, my, my jaw is Keith, on the floor. Keith David, like, yes. this is PG-13, right? Or was this I, R? This has to be R. No, this is R. Okay, my it's mistake. Be. I thought, But I, I thought it was PG-13, so I was not expecting that. Uh, <laughs> yep. I saw, you know, the people's hands getting shot through, and mm-hmm. Lance Hendrickson is so good in this. He's yeah. so funny as the super... I think he's. I think he's sort of playing a riff on the character in the Searchers, the gambler character. Do you remember? Oh yeah, yeah. Where he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. "Oh, I will protect you for right. I am da da." You know, and everyone's like, "No, you're kind of a creep." <laughs> <laughs> I think he's like playing a riff on that character, and uh, and it's he's great. Every time I see Lance Hendrickson in a movie, I'm like, I just I gotta watch Chris Carter's Millennium since and, uh, he's the lead in it, and I find him really interesting. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been, yeah, I do want to see that. I've heard good things about it, and yeah. I've heard, I've heard the things where it's like, oh yeah, just watch up to the first season. Yeah, you know, like same with a lot of shows. But, but um, yeah, and now the other thing about Lance Hendrickson is he's in a lot of uh, Tales from the Crypt episodes, mm-hmm. and uh, I, you know, I, I, I watch a lot of Tales from the Crypt, obviously, with for my uh, column on Chud, and. Uh, God, sorry. What are you doing? I'm not. I'm just. I don't get it. It like keeps popping up. What what website are you on? What's I was just on that? IMDb and I just had Quicken the Dead up and it just all of a sudden there's a trailer for Jumping the Broom mm, playing. Jumping the Broom. Is that it doesn't a, make sense. I didn't even click on it. Is that a Sam Raimi movie? Jumping the Broom. It should be. Yeah. Um, jumping about the witches. Boom. Jumping the Boom. Well, you he's doing he's doing the Wizard of Oz prequel, so it's Ugh, with witches. Oh God. Okay. I hope it's not a musical. You know what? This that actually I'm glad you brought that up because that brings me to another thing. Um, reason he shouldn't do the Wizard of Oz movie is the reason why Quick and the Dead works. Mm-hmm. You know why all of this hyperkinetic filmmaking, which has sort of become sort of thank you main- for thinking of the word I was thinking of too. Uh, hyperkinetic, sort of, yeah. Uh, it's, I think I stole it from like Devin Faraci, or he probably stole it from someone. I don't know, but <laughs> anyways, yeah, it's a word you'd use to describe movies that you know people like Joseph Kahn and Edgar Wright and Sam Raimi make. Yeah. Um. But um, what I would, what makes that work for me, is that it's real. It's you. You see the real sets. It's a real camera zooming around real, and there's a rush because you know that they're right behind your vision. There's like a, a heavy camera, yeah, that is moving wildly, um, and it's very organic. It's, now, you know, now movies, you know, like Avatar, where everything's made of CGI, and there's just swooping CGI camera shots, it doesn't mean anything, you know? When mm-hmm. the camera flies around Hogwarts or whatever, you know that it's just a digital camera, you know, it's a fake camera, computer-generated camera looking at computer-generated things. 
So there isn't that rush um, like when you see a Sam Raimi movie and you see the camera bust through, a, bust through a door. You know it's not a CGI door. You know it's an actual door that they bust through. And when you see Getty Lee, you also get a rush. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, when, I, when I listen to Coldplay, I get a rush of blood to the head. <laughs> and um, But you know what I mean? Like there's a day – there's like sort of an excitement to it because like, you know, not to go back to Evil Dead 2, but when the camera is – hurtling towards the door at an incredible speed you're like holy shit yep yeah i mean sure in the movie this is the objective perspective of the force or whatever but watching the movie you realize that this is a camera and that you know if if some and you're like oh is this gonna hit it is this gonna yeah is something gonna break is did he break his equipment doing this shot it's like the and that's like remember a, the shot in that's, a, that's exactly how i defended the parallel to orson welles because he fucking did things like that back in the day with right. with his earlier work. Um, Nobody had thought to do these things. Nobody had thought about, like, let's try and, you know, if we break a camera, so what? Let's try it. Let's see what happens. Do you remember the shot in After Hours where the where he, she throws down the keys to him? Yep. It's like that, where you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason why After Hours is my favorite Scorsese movie. Yeah. I don't know. Talk about and, hyper, I talk about hyperkinetic. Yeah. I love that style yeah. of filmmaking. And here I am talking and praising the idea of theatrical plays and two guys talking in one room and no, no camera movement. Right. I think I also like the complete opposite. Well, um, and then uh, – but anyway, so there's like a scene where uh, I think it's Russell Crowe and someone else are about to shoot a gunfight. And there's a slow motion shot of a bottle of beer shattering right before they shoot. And you know – because you know it's 1995 and it's not CGI, that it was literally they shot high speed film and watched this, you know, mm-hmm. mug break. And it's they didn't do it on Avid, right? <laughs> and it's and it's so much better that way. Yeah, and that's the reason. And you know that the Wizard of Oz prequel is going to be CGI heavy. You know they're not going to let him. And I think he got overwhelmed with that. You know, and you know, I don't know. If- I can't remember too much about Spider-Man 3 because I've I never it bothered my, seeing it. I blocked it out of my memory because I was so disappointed because Spider-Man 2 might be my favorite comic book movie ever made and then Spider-Man 3 came along and I was pretty devastated. So, I think that had like obviously those movies are going to have CGI and that shouldn't I mean that's kind of inevitable unfortunately with where we're going techno- technologically speaking, right. but But there's no none, there's no charm to that. There's no charm to a camera zooming around when the camera is fake, and so is the, what it's zooming around. Right. Um, you know, it's there's you need to you there's an actual sense of movement and danger and energy when you have actual people flying through the air or you have actual cameras moving around. Um, It'd be nice if other filmmakers took the cue from um, the guy who made House of the Devil. And <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, I know, you don't like. I know you think that movie's boring as fuck. It's but a horrible movie. It's not a horrible movie because I like the slow build. There's no build though. I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna get into this conversation. But again. I'm just saying but I it's I feel not like a filmmaker. slow burn. I wish filmmakers Halloween is a I, slow burn, that movie is a no burn. I feel I feel, I feel like I want filmmakers to not necessarily like, oh, let's just go find cameras from the eighties and use those exact same cameras. Right. I would like them to embrace that organic feel. My friend uh my friend who I know from uh, Chud and online, he writes for Badass Digest, sometimes Phil Noble. He said that uh, House of the Devil felt like uh. Ty West saw a bunch of 80s horror movies and hated them and decided to make one anyway. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, as opposed, as opposed to movies where it's like, oh, man, you can tell he has a real passionate love for the genre. It felt like a movie where he hated the genre. It was a satanic panic movie that was just slow. There's no panic. Yeah, it, okay. build, it builds up to the fucking guy and you know, the no family. Build. It's... 
it's no, okay, and I don't want to get into this. <laughs> anyway, we'll do um, a Ty West episode. You know what my problem, main problem with the Spider-Man movies is? Hmm. It wasn't quite arc enough. I thought the the acting wasn't very. I no, thought, I thought the script as written was very melodramatic. The best where, part of that those movies is J.K. Simmons. Yeah, yeah, J.K. Simmons is always the best part of every movie he's in. But um, um, but I think like the script as written is very melodramatic like really big and it's like peter i thought you loved me it's like i do love you it's like no why can't we be together i can't tell you why and like then james franco is just like oh peter there's something i'm mad about no you don't understand no you don't understand i don't understand what anyone understands like like (laughs) (laughs) like it was something really (laughs) annoying and it's and if it was played big like quick in the dead or something or you know or army of darkness like, I was, was watching Quick and the Dead. I'm like, man, if only the Spider-Man movies were like this, where they weren't concerned. But, I mean, no major studio is going to give an, you know, is going to put a huge franchise like that and make it, give it such a quirky tone. No, I mean, it's a comic book movie. I think it's meant to have that sort of outlandish... Right, but I don't think the actors really met that outlandish. No. Like, I think this is a comic book movie, they... and I think this is... I think Quick and the Dead is a comic book movie, I think that works... I'm not saying they're bad movies. I think they're very good, and I think the action scenes are incredible. I but... think that's why people, like, really clung to to the acclaim of The Dark Knight, because the acting, you know, cultivated the, the comic book well, genre. I, I, like, I like the dark... I don't think the action sequences are nearly as good. No, they're not. I think the action sequences are pretty shitty, but I think... I do like The Dark Knight more than I like Spider-Man 2, because I just... Meh. I know. And that's not I mean, that's actually that's actually I was gonna say that's an unpopular opinion, but it probably is a popular opinion. It's mm. just not a it's not a popular opinion among people who love movies. <laughs> most people who love movies love Spider Man too, and then most people who just love shit to be dark love Dark Knight. But I love movies and I But anyway, that's not the point. My point is I don't think it's quite arch enough for the for the melodrama to work right. Um I don't I mean I I'm not a big fan of superhero movies anyway. I I'm definitely not anymore. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I just like Spider-Man Two and Superman Two. Maybe that, maybe that is actually like the like I would put four star love Superman Two. Yeah, I love Superman. What about 2. X-Men Two? X-Men Two is good. Yeah, X-Men Two is pretty good. Yeah, I like Dark that. Knight is uh, Batman Begins Two. I think we've discovered the pattern here. Oh shit! And it's then, almost like the Star Trek movies. And then Iron Man Two broke it. Oh, because Iron yeah. Man Two is bad. I like Iron Man Two. I mean, I like Iron Man One. Yeah, except for the. The, the the way it ends, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's a shitty it's a shitty ending, but yeah, you, you I think Robert Downey Jr. carries it. But, but I, I think the thing the thing about Sam Raimi, whenever he, he tackles a genre, it's he always cultivates it, he always makes it his own, yeah, and it's always fun to watch. Well, and I know that we can get into the rest of his filmography here. So now I now yeah, and but we can conclude. I want to talk thoughts. about what, sort of the interesting thing about the Quick and the Dead. Sure, you know, you brought up that he blamed himself. I didn't know this, but I never, I never read, heard this or read this. But you said that after Quick and the Dead failed, he blamed himself for being too style over substance. Yeah, and not the exact quote, but close. Right, and then he went on to make Simple Plan. Now, I, I started watching Simple Plan this morning. I didn't get a chance to finish it, um, so I have to say anything I say about the movie can't be, you know, I'm putting that disclaimer out there. I can only say what it felt like. I can't say what it is because I haven't finished it. I've only watched like the first, uh, I, I'm a little more than the half. But I felt like that that was actually sort of how I felt about that movie before I even heard that, is that it was Sam Raimi trying too hard to not be Sam Raimi. Um, I have a similar feelings about 
um, you know, Woody Allen's my favorite director. He's he's who we're doing next week, and uh, he uh, he did um, a movie Interiors, and it was him trying to prove, and that's a movie without any jokes, and it was him trying to prove that he was not just a comedian who made funny movies; he was a filmmaker, and it's not bad, but it definitely feels like he's trying too hard to to stay true to the source material, which is dark and bleak and slow. All right, well, that's not interiors. Now you're getting off my metaphor, but it felt like it felt like a simple plan is not a bad movie. I've heard it said that it's indis- I've heard I think you said it was like it's nearly indistinguishable from a Coen Brothers movie, and I think that's ludicrous. Um, the rapper? Yes, I think that is a uh, Chris Ludicrous Bridges. Okay, star of Gamer, right? And Too Fast, Too Furious, and No Strings Attached, and No Strings Attached, and uh, Crash. He's actually good in that movie. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, he's one of the only. There we go we again with Jump that? in the Broom. All I did was Jim go to... Jim keeps getting bored when I no, talk and he puts on commercials. All. He'd rather watch commercials all for All I did was go to the Simple Plan uh, website because I wanted to buy some tickets. Mm-hmm. No, um, because I wanted to just get the IMDb up and Jumping the Broom keeps coming up. All right, so I haven't seen finished Simple Plan. If it all comes together at the end, I'll, I'll, make, a post and I'll make a post on the website about it, about my final thoughts. But it I'm does... terrified about that. No, don't be terrified. <laughs> I like it. I think it's a good movie. I don't. But I don't here's... think there's nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with him dialing back the POV shots. I uh, mean, what, there's like one shot of like a fox running I don't, in there. But and... I don't think it's. I don't think it's him playing to his strengths. Is my thing because well, he's not an actor's director, and that's an actor's movie. And I don't think the performances are that. I think. I think uh, Billy Bob Thornton's performance is very good. He has an interesting character. That isn't quite dumb, but is sort of off in a very interesting way. Yep. Um, uh, but other than that, I thought I think Bill Paxton is okay. I think he he's he's, he's, good. Cap- he's capable. I think he's definitely capable. I have, I have no I, no big qualms with. It's his a subdued movie, and there's subdued performances in it. Right, but I mean, it's not. It's it's not like he's sleepwalking through it. No, he's not <laughs> sleepwalking through it. Um, that would be the later movie, The Gift. That, yes, where he was. Um, but I'm actually kind of ha- like I'm, I'm glad he seems to I guess I guess if if he took the failure of Quick and the Dead personally and changed himself up no he went to the Coen brothers and just asked for advice and uh, you know it's like All right. well it, I'm just saying the, the, the his there's, work there's his work friends <laughs> his work I'm saying his work speaks for itself he he was doing his thing and then once it and then once he had a big cast and big stars and a potentially big movie and it failed he Went in a completely opposite direction. He t- did a th- he did a one eighty, and then he did that. He did a simple plan, which was critically acclaimed, but it's not the kind of movie that's big box office. Yeah. I'm sure they were kind of maybe crossing their fingers that it would be the next Fargo, but it it wasn't, and that's but it was critically acclaimed. And then for the love of the game, which no one really cared about either way. Oh, and then there was the gift, and then when he did the gift. And it was ruined, and it was horrible, and everyone hated it, and it did poorly at the box office. Then he did Spider Man, and he wanted like, yeah, I don't know. I find that a really interesting change up for him. It's and I don't know. Again, it could be personal bias, where like I I read this book, A Simple Plan, um, in a night, huh. and was consumed by it. Like I loved the story, and then once I heard my favorite director was directing it. Maybe I was just prone to love it, right? Based on that That's, alone, and, it, and then and, you're, and Jim, you're not the only one. There's a lot of people. When I I asked I asked uh, I asked, I asked, I asked Twitter. I said. What should I watch first, Quick and the Dead or Simple Plan? They said watch Quick and the Dead first because that's more fun, and then you get to watch Simple Plan, which is a better movie. 
Yeah. Like, that's what most people, most people consider that, they don't necessarily consider that his best movie, because most people's love is for Evil Dead 2, but they consider that a really great movie, and I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it all, so I'm not going to say it isn't. I know. I'm just saying, I'm only saying the impression I got from from the gift, which is totally, he is so disinterested in his source material, and that, and I mean, to be fair, the main problem with the gift is the horrible script. Can we talk about the gift for a little bit? Oh God, do we have to? Yeah, it's it's one of the worst. I mean, people are. I I said there's like no redeeming qualities about it at all. And people are like, well, you could see Katie Holmes' boobs, and it's like, I want to watch porn. I'll watch porn. I don't need to see famous actresses' boobs. You or know? go to celebritymoviearchive.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you're if you're familiar with the internet, you know what her boobs look like. Yeah. Now, by now, but um, but it is is the script is horrible. Where there's, like, no real story. Courtesy of Mr. Billy Bob yeah, Thornton. Yeah, Billy Bob Thornton and this other guy who did a bunch of TV movies um, that are, that like, look like schlocky, like, TNT late-night TV movies. But uh, the script is horrible. Um, I think Kate Blanchett, is it Kate Blanchett? And, uh, Leah? Yeah. Yeah, I think she's pretty good. She's good. Almost every other performance is horrible. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi is hilarious. It's, it's That's what's funny about it for me. <laughs> it's it's that he's I mean he's, but the thing is yeah you were saying that you kind of enjoy it because the acting is so bad that you sort of in, it, you think it's just so bad it's good yeah for the most part I liken it almost like to a a schlocky B movie where it's mostly about the the melodramatic elements too but I don't I don't think but, I think it's entertaining to watch but I think <laughs> it's too boring to be entertaining I don't because there's not enough of a, of a story like I thought it was going to be her trying to track down the killer but it turns out to be like it ke- it keeps changing its story because it keeps getting bored with itself. Where it's like, all right, she's going to foresee terrible things happening, and then it's like, actually, no, her ability to foresee things is going to get someone mad at her, so it's going to be about that. Oh no, it's actually going to be about her. Um, it's actually going to be about her testifying, and it's going to be like a courtroom drama featuring a psychic. And wouldn't that be interesting if there's a courtroom drama? Fee- and then after that, it was like, eh, not really. We're going to do something else now because. Like, <laughs> well, it's, I, I don't know. He, he wanted to make this like southern gothic drama mystery thing. I don't think he wanted he to do it. He didn't me- mesh up the genres very. I don't think. Well I, I don't think Sam Raimi wanted to do it. I think he did, did it just as a favor to his buddy. Maybe. I don't maybe. Know. Maybe. Maybe he had nothing going on, and he was like, "I'm just going to make this mainstream." Movie. But I don't. He. I could not imagine for a second that he cared about that movie because it shows in every frame. Like it's just. It's just – that's him sleepwalking. I think a simple plan, there's actually care taken, um, you know, and it's – There's definitely one Raimi moment with the Fiddler. That's it. That's that's the one moment. Yeah. Um, it even takes a it even takes a plot uh, plot device from Troll 2 where the, her dead grandma shows up <laughs> and tells her that things are going to be horrible. It's like there's Is, something really bad on the horizon. Can't psychics do that? See their dead – Relatives, and then I guess so. I guess the little boy in Troll Two is a psychic, and then uh, and then she never shows up again. And then it's like uh, she's about to be killed by the killer. Yeah, she shows up in Spider Man as the end. <laughs> and then, uh, but then she then she's about to be killed by the killer, and then someone and then someone saves her, and it's like, oh man, I'm so happy he saved me. It's like, no, you don't understand. He was already dead. <laughs> like. If this was an episode of Tales from the Crypt, it would be one of the bad episodes from Tales from the Crypt. This right. would this. This this is not good, even if you judge it by those standards. Yeah, every now and then I get a craving for a ham and cheese sandwich, you know. But and but that's, funny, that's kind of what but, the gift but, is for me. But there are funny. But I don't. I just. I feel like there's there's no energy behind it, and it's just sleepwalking. And it's dull, and it's like I. Uh, and I don't know. J.K. Simmons shows up. 
even he even he's not very good in it. He's very just oh, I'm a grumpy. I'm very grumpy. You what are you a psychic? I don't believe in psychics. I'm too grumpy. <laughs> That's I what I was laughing. Psychics. What, what are you what are you a murderer? Oh, I don't like murderers. I don't believe any of this jumbo jumbo. Who likes murderers? I'm grumpy. Oh, what do you what do you what do you want? What do you want to help because you're a psychic? You're not a psychic. You're <laughs> grumpy. Like it's he wasn't even he wasn't even great in the in the gift, but uh and then Spider-Man movies are a considerable step up from the GIF. I'm not a huge fan of them for the reasons I discussed, but I mean Spider-Man Two has some spectacular sequences: the hospital room sequence, the train, God yes, the trains fight, which the Dark Knight stole later. You sure it was, was the Dark Knight? Batman begins. No, ba- Batman begins. Yeah. <laughs> I was always thinking, what you know, like the, how the speeding train. Like, you know, the camera, you know, the, the movie follows Batman and him fighting on the speeding train. Mm-hmm. But I always wonder what was going on, like, the people waiting at stops. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be at work. Like, my, my mom, my, my wife is making dinner and I'm going to be late and mm-hmm. she's going to be pissed at me. No, but Spider-Man's got work to do, dude. You yeah. know, they've they got to be understanding about that. Yeah. What the fuck? Well, the, the, uh, the, people, on the <laughs> people on the train were understanding because they all stood up for him. Oh, that was a that was kind of a neat moment. And there was that there was that Raimi pullback through the crowd mm-hmm. as they're all sort of standing between him and the octopus octopus dude. That's his name, octopus dude. Yeah. Um, no, no, squid Mr. squidman squidman squid- Mister Squidman. The villain the the villains were <laughs> the villain the villains were the squid and the whale. Yeah, there was a squid. There was a Doc whale. Ock. Um, I think at one point Margot went to a wedding. Doc Ock is the villain. Dr. Octopus. I like how you deliver that, like you're Doc, Chuck D or Doctor, something, like you're making a Doctor, big declaration. Doc, Doc, Dr. Octopi. I know. I knew it was Dr. Octopus. I'm scared because I just went to the Spider-Man 2 IMDb page, and, and we're going to tra- get another trailer. Turn off trailer. your sound. Why don't you turn off your sound? It's a good idea. Why didn't I think of that sooner? I don't know. Um, and then there's Drag Me to Hell, which I love. I think that's second only to Evil Dead 2 in the terms of his um, uh, Evil Dead movies. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, it's so much fun, and I think Allison Lohman's good in it. And it, but again, that's that's the other thing I want to bring up about his quote unquote serious movies. Now I saw The Gift. I've almost I'm I'm not finished a Simple Plan, so again I reserve the right to completely change my mind uh, or to be wrong. But I don't think he's a. But we just we mentioned earlier I don't think he's an actor's director. Right, we did. And I think so. I think those movies deny his strengths and play to his weakness. And I think that's my main problem with it is, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that it's interesting. I'm not saying be- that a story like A Simple Plan needs um, hyperkinetic style. Obviously, that would be inappropriate. I'm saying um, a story like Simple Plan doesn't need a director like Sam Raimi. I, I find it really interesting that you know he would choose to do a romantic drama like For the Love of the Game, where it's it, it's so bland. So conventional. Well, I feel so like, like everything you know exactly what's going to happen well, to this again, character. And Kevin Costner is so it feels fucking like, it feels boring. Like he's, it feels like he's flagellating himself. Like he, like he's trying to pay for his to, sins of making silly movies. Like, I don't think no, so. No, I'm a good filmmaker. And he is a good filmmaker. But he, you know, he wants people to see it. So he wants to prove it. And I think, it, I think it's like Lil Wayne doing a rock album where it's like, But he's oh. got to pay the mortgage too, man. I mean, he, he yeah, keeps hoping. there's that too. But that doesn't mean that the, 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 that's a good... That I don't agree. I don't think... I mean... I haven't, seen, you, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen For the Love of the Game. If you're so. asking me whether I'd rather see another Simple Plan style of a movie from Sam Raimi versus Drag Me to Hell, I'm going to go with Drag Me to Hell. Right. Uh, but I think for what he did with Simple Plan is 
pretty astonishing because I was actually going in there expecting crazy camera work and um he didn't he didn't bring it and I thought that was um mature right and that's that's because he wanted to serve this fucking amazing story interestingly enough that was Stephen King's favorite book of that year a simple plan hmm. seems like and then and then later you, you, Stephen you King to, and then later to, you Stephen, seem to use the word loosely very interesting very <laughs> you seem to use the word interesting very loosely is what I should have said it is <laughs> but then Stephen King uh, you know endorsed frailty Bill Paxton's movie oh which so is really it? which is a perfect Bill Paxton we were talking about this I think during the break or before we started recording it's a perfectly it's, legitimately fun B movie no Southern well that, Gothic yeah, that, movie that's your take my take is it's a perfect Bill Paxton movie because just like Bill Paxton it's sort of good but mostly boring no <laughs> <laughs> Disagree. It's it's sort of good. I mean, I do like that the villain of frailty is God. Yeah. He is the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, in a twist, in one of the greatest twist endings ever, it turns out that uh, God is a serial killer. I feel like that, like three guys, Bill Paxton, Kurt Russell, Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid, mm-hmm. are always themselves in in really good ways. Like just they they're all they always service the movie that they're in, and they're always reliably them. Bill Paxton. He's he's awesome. I think he's 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 a good actor, but just not, you know. I can't believe you would drag Kurt Russell's name through the mud like no. that. I think all three. I think people. all three of them are, are like. That's probably why I love Tombstone so much. Aren't they all three? No, Dennis Quaid's not in Tombstone, but at least two what of them movies are. is Dennis Quaid the star of? Because he's he's so bland that I, he slips off my head every time I try to think of him. Inner Space. Joe right. Dante's brilliant. That's right. I haven't seen Inner Space. I haven't seen that. So there you go. Yeah. Maybe I'll maybe I'll be a big Dennis Quaid supporter. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll do a bonus Dennis Quaid episode. I think we should. I think we should do a bonus episode on all three of those. If guys. so, we should probably put a warning that the episode will put you to sleep because Aww. Dennis Quaid no. is boring. I just want to curl up in the crags in his face and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a nice guy. Yeah. No, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. Uh, um so uh, now, so now he and now he's doing a uh, Wizard of Oz prequel. He was he was signed on to be a, to do a World of Warcraft movie for a while. Yeah, I was excited about that because even though that was going to be CGI, mm-hmm. that is so his uh, yeah. right up his alley. And the World of Warcraft, I don't know if you've ever played it. It's it's boring as hell. Um, I couldn't do it. I've seen people play it, just no, never. It's a bunch. It's a bunch of it's it's just like you talk to people and they all want you to kill five of something. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Like it's really specific. Like, can you bring me five rabbits' teeth? It's like, well, no, fuck you. But um, anyway, oh that God. movie had. But what makes that game sort of interesting among all like EverQuest and other games like that is it has a sense of humor about itself. Um, so I think he's well, that would have been great. But now he's going to do a Wizard of Oz prequel, and uh, who cares? What is it? Who was <laughs> it going to be James Franco? It's going to be Oz. No, For a while, it's going to be Johnny Depp. No, it's going to be Robert Downey Jr. Oh, that's right. I just because it sounds like a movie that Tim Burton would make. Yeah, why don't they just let t- Tim Burton and Johnny Depp make it? They're not, neither of them are interested in making real movies anymore. They should <laughs> don't waste Sam Raimi's time. Yeah, I, I'm definitely worried. Uh, I don't know. It's it's who, like how old is The Wizard of Oz? Like 1940? I mean, I know I know that, well, that I know time, that that's not what I'm worried about. It's a I know time. that, but I know that Wicked yeah, had Wicked, its. You know, Wicked is massively successful. It's right. not. It's not. A, it's not a member. Of, it's not. It's not a sequel. It's not like Tron Two, where it's like Jesus Christ. It's. It. I mean, that's a timeless 
I, but that's that's actually I was about to call it a franchise, and then I just <laughs> threw up in my mouth a little bit calling Wizard of Oz a franchise. What and about the Wiz? Yeah, well, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. They're turning Wizard of Oz into a franchise, and it's horrible. But you never know. Maybe he'll bring like a really dark twist to this, and no, it'll it's, be. Uh... But this is a this is a huge movie, like budget. They're not going to let him be himself. They're going to rein him in. They're going to rein me him in. Yeah, they're going to rein me him in. I know. Jen. I don't want that to happen. And he's going to pull a Raimi. You know what that is? Hmm. Pulling a Raimi is when you're capable of doing great work, but instead you make the gift. Oh. <laughs> no, I do love I do love Sam Raimi, and I want to make that clear. I think Sam Raimi's great. Um, he's always going to be my favorite director, I just, even I th- if the Wizard of Oz movie sucks. I think Sam but... Raimi is a great filmmaker, but I think as far as what projects he chooses and how he chooses to approach them, he's not always the best. Um, that's that would be more my recently, take. yeah. I mean, it's interesting how I, I enjoy the first Spider-Man, don't love it, and then Spider-Man Two came along and reminded me of why I love Raimi, and he elevated the comic book genre. And then Spider-Man Three came along, and I thought, well, well Spider-Man he's Three lost. apparently, I did, so Spider-Man many villains. Three, yeah, the script was the problem, but that wasn't. I think that was like forced on. Like he didn't want to do Venom. Right, and they made him do Venom, and but a lot of studio compromising, I'm sure, right. with that movie. And but that, but that proves that he's willing to beat stu- Mr. Studio compromising. So, which is why I'm not, you know, he's not, he is not uh, Terry Gilliam. He's not going to fight the studio for his vision of the Wizard of Oz prequel. You know, it's too I mean? nice because he, you know, because you can borrow some barbecue sauce. Yeah, exactly. You can borrow barbecue sauce from him. That's Mr. Sam Raimi. That's going to be on his tombstone. Always had a bar. Always had a bottle of Sweet Baby Ray's ready, yeah. <laughs> right at the door. Trick or treaters came by. He just dumped it in their bags, ruined everything. Along with severed hands, <laughs> some lighter fluid from Giovanni Ribisi. Oh, he's fun. He's a fun guy, and I'm 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 glad he exists. But I wish he existed more in his Evil Dead to Army of Darkness, Quick and the Dead mode, and let just basically less... make movies with dead in the title or hell. Yeah, yeah, like hell. Dead, hell. Can you can you imagine if Spider Man had the same tone and camera work as Quick and the Dead? Like how great that would be. It kind of it does in spots. Not really. Quick and the Dead never mistakes itself for reality. There's right. I mean, Gene Hackman grounds it in emotional reality, but like it's completely silly from the opening to the end. Like the part where the guy gets kicked out. The kicked mm-hmm. out of the bar. I think that was Bruce Campbell or whatever, and he's running off, and then he gets shot in the bag. Like, that's that's some like silly shit. And Spider Man's Spider Man's little pulpy, and it has fun moments in like the wrestling arena, but it's never silly. Yeah, I wonder what it would have been like if he would have done Alice in Wonderland. That might have been interesting. I I don't I, know. I, I just feel like I can't imagine he has a passion for the Wizard of Oz prequel. Is my point? How like. Maybe it's got a great script. You don't know. Well, maybe it's really interesting. That's not how Hollywood works. They don't make <laughs> prequels to movies, to beloved movies from the 40s, because they have a great idea. Maybe he's just leaving all that, you know, artistic credibility to the Coen brothers. Just like, ah, yeah. they, they got it covered. Let them, <laughs> let them make their uh, serious man. You know, I'm not saying he's all about the Benjamins, but I, I'm... But he certainly seems to be willing to be about the Benjamins for the right price. It's and, possible. And... To be fair, he doesn't, you know, with the exception of the gift, and I haven't seen for the love of the game, maybe for the love of the game as well. He doesn't turn him. He doesn't turn the Raimi completely off. 
No, only when he's shooting baseball point of view shots is the only time I'm lighting up in that movie. <laughs> maybe I just maybe all I need from a movie is POV shots, mm-hmm. like in Enter the Void. Yeah, you just want him to remake Enter the Void. Oh yeah, that would have been interesting. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> what kind of? Um, that uh, about brings us to the end of this episode. Enter the ba- barbecue sauce. <laughs> I just can't believe you said that. That's wonderful. I don't know where it came from, and I'm scared to listen to it now. That's good. Now, now you know how you don't like listening back to. S- I don't. Well, I just. I, I, I just. I don't want to listen. I don't know if I want. I might skip over the barbecue sauce part because I'm terrified. No, you really got to keep it. That was really funny, and I, we referenced it too much. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep it. I just don't know. I, I, I don't know where I was going with it. I guess it was maybe funny, but oh god, it's so weird. Hey, and Jen? neither of us did a Giovanni Ribisi imitation. Well, no, because I, I was just going to do a Duddits, and that's the uh, only. That speaking of speaking of great horror movie retards, Duddits, Giovanni Ribisi, mm-hmm. Dick Miller, and uh, Bucket of Blood. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, real quick, real quick. Um, just, uh, just sort of. Apropos of nothing, what do you think Martin Scorsese puts on a hot dog? I would hope mustard and relish. Mustard and relish guy. He wouldn't put he wouldn't put ketchup on a hot dog. No. Same with Clint Eastwood. If yeah. you put ketchup on a hot dog, you should go directly to jail. Yeah. You know what? Fuck you. That's what I say. That's what I say to anyone who doesn't want me to put ketchup on my hot dog. I'll put bird shit on my hot dog if I want to. I'm not making you eat it. I'm eating it. That's true. Yeah. But I I asked for a hot it's, ketchup. With, it's I asked un- for a hot dog with it's ketchup. Unethical. It's, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you Jewish? Is it unkosher? What? Yeah. What the? I went to Portillo's and I asked for a ketchup with a hot dog. You would think I I asked for nine eleven. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, excuse me, could I have a jihad? I uh, death to America. Like it was literally. People take that really personally. I'm I'm actually just joking. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't understand that. And we live in Chicago, and Chicago. That's, that's the thing. Chicago's fucked up with their hot dogs. They they put like fucking peppers and pickles and mayonnaise and yeah. fucking. They they sometimes they just like crumble dead beetles over it. And I'm glad they, they're not like that about pizza. Like you better get I, I think deep Chicago, dish. No, I, I think well, yeah, they're not they're not like assholes about deep dish, but I think Chicago pizza is kind of shitty too. What the fuck? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, Carly, Carly, Carly grew up on deep dish pizza. I think it tastes like butt. What the fuck are you talking about? It's good. All right, we should clo- we should close this episode out. Yeah, it's a nice uh, segue into Woody Allen next week. Yeah, next week we're going to be talking about Woody Allen, who's my favorite director. Yeah, um, we're gonna we're gonna have a guest this time. So all those people who couldn't really sit through this episode—well, if you couldn't sit through it, you're not hearing this now. But <laughs> all the people who suffered through this episode—it's so weird. It's we're at the two-hour mark right now. Yeah. That's crazy. No, don't worry. We'll we'll cut out. Our a first lot episode of it. was 45 minutes long. Yeah. All right. See you later. Wait, is that really how we're going to end it? Yeah. Just say see you later. It's a casual thing. See you later. Please visit directorsclubpodcast.com and maybe shoot us a little, you know, a little typey type type email on uh, over at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com and uh, say hello over us at Twitter at twitter.com slash DC podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, say hello to Patrick. Say hello to Jim. Yeah. And, uh, That'll about wrap it up for this see us episode. In the, see us in the store. Say hello. <laughs> yeah. We're at your local Meyer. Yeah. So. We have the best wrap-up in the podcast game, I have to say. I would agree with no that. One, no one can touch our wrap-up game. For Patrick Rapole, I am Jim Laskowski. And for Jim Laskowski, I'm Patrick Rapole. And for me, I say good night. And for me, I say good morning. I'll say goodbye. See you later. <laughs>
Peter, there's something I'm mad about. No, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. I don't understand what anyone understands. I, like, like... <laughs> <laughs> Spinning redemption wine.